previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. I always say the internet, when they aren't mean-spirited, racist, and all this other stuff, they're <laughs> pretty awesome. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to episode 78 of the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where guests share their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. The NBA playoffs are underway, and the hunt for the Larry O'Brien Trophy is on. Of course, this is a unique year, as there is a 72-game schedule, and there are 10 teams vying for 8 spots in each conference. I was able to get fan representatives from many of the teams in the playoff hunt looking to ask them how they feel about their team as well as their expectations going into the season, in addition to them giving their NBA Finals predictions. While the goal was to get all 20 teams in the playoff hunt, sometimes it can prove a little bit difficult, especially in the world of social media, as numerous attempts to get fans for teams such as the Atlanta Hawks, Milwaukee Bucks, Memphis Grizzlies, San Antonio Spurs, and Indiana Pacers came up empty. But my hope is next year we'll get this going a little bit earlier and hopefully we'll get all 20 teams in the hunt. But as for the fans who are able to participate in this, I really do appreciate it. And instead of just giving you a rundown of the names, I'll let you experience it for yourself, starting with the Western Conference. With me to discuss the Golden State Warriors is Thomas Banks. How long have you been a fan of the Warriors? Um, I've been a fan of the Warriors since they had Tim Hardaway. This was back in the like early like nineties, eighties, late eighties or something, like early nineties. They had Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway, Mitch Richmond. I was a big fan of them three, especially Tim Hardaway. He came out of UTEP. Been a fan ever since then. I think they were in that era where it was Jordan's era. So you didn't really get a chance to see them uh, you know, be the best version of themselves. But I, I've been a fan of them like ever since then. And then when Baron Davis went there, I became a fan. So I've been always watching Golden State ever since I was a kid. And then just when, you know, I'll get into that later, but when Curry, Clay Thompson and them came, it was like, yeah, these guys are going to be something special. But I've been a fan of them since, since a while, like a while ago, man. It's funny how when the names all change, but that team still stays the same, the, the team name at least, it's just crazy how many years you can think of, oh, I remember... Like you said, Tim Hardaway, Run TMC, all that stuff. Weber, then, you know, being a Wizards fan, basically ours intersect because it's Weber and then Mitch Richmond, except yours went the other direction. But yeah, and then, you, like I said, you've seen all the success. What is your most memorable Golden State Warriors moment? Oh, man. I think it was when Stephen Curry, he went and he was going against OKC, the, the moment that made, I think, Kevin Durant say, okay, I got to play with these guys, was when he was dribbling the ball. It was like four seconds left on the clock, and he dribbles, and he's a little past half court, and he shoots the ball and, and hits the three from, like, he was past 40 feet, and he shoots it, and it goes in, and everybody goes crazy. So it, I think that one – that is my most memorable, man, was when Stephen Curry hit that shot. I was like, this guy's not even human, man. He's an alien. He's got, like, past 20-20 vision. This guy's a beast, man. So that's probably the most memorable time that I can recall. I mean, it's so many with that team and the, those players that they have. 
expectations going into the season. They were a lottery team for the first time in a very, very, very long time. Steph Curry getting hurt, of course. Clay Thompson still being out. Durant leaving and going to Brooklyn. And so much stuff had changed. What were you hoping for going into this season, especially everything being so out of sorts with the shortened season because of COVID? Yeah, well, I was hoping that they would be a challenge to everyone. I mean, right now, everybody can kind of pick them apart because Clay is hurt. They got that kid, Wiseman, who um, who's very good. He's going to be a, a all-star, I think, in the future. If, you know, if he stays healthy, I can see him playing with the level of Anthony Davis. He's got to take some time to grow. But yeah, right now, everybody knows their identity right now. They know Steph is the main threat on that team offensively. Draymond is very good at dishing the ball. Um, he, if he can keep his temper down, they'll be fine. But right now, I think they can make a little noise, but enough to get past certain teams. And right now, other teams are looking really, really good against them. They're missing Clay. I just hope that when he returns, he will be somewhat of his former, former self. I just hope that that you know, because he he's he's had two bad injuries, but he's a shooter too. He doesn't do a lot of slashing, but Clay is an underrated defensive player. You just want him to be able to come back and shoot the ball, be that threat to help Curry, you know, move move around more fluent. But they definitely need Clay Thompson back, man. They if they don't get Clay back, they're not the Warriors without him, without the Splash Brothers. They're not. They just like they won't be the Warriors. Believe it or not without Draymond Green. They all three of those guys go hand in hand and they all know how each other plays. So when they get Klay Thompson back, hopefully they'll be able to make some noise. I think they'll look good. I think Wiggins, I don't know, man, it's tough. His shot has gotten better, but I think if they have to trade someone, they could trade him for someone. And uh, I always think they need a big man. They need a, a steady big man. I think Wiseman coming off the bench is good. I always said I think they made a big mistake getting rid of JaVale McGee. That was like the worst thing they could have done because JaVale McGee is underrated. You know, he only had a certain amount of minutes he could play because of his asthma and everything, but he did a lot for that team. That's what I think, man. Was there a point in the season that you felt like, okay, Golden State's getting into the playoffs, especially after having that one down year, Steph missing most of last year, Clay pretty much missing all of last year? No. I already knew that they weren't gonna they weren't gonna do anything too much, man. They have too many rookie new guys on that team. They don't have the experience. They have two guys with playoff experience and championship experience right now. So I mean, I think it's good for them to get into it and to be like, okay, yeah, so this is how it's gonna be. You know, so this is what we gotta get our mindset for next year. But as far as them making any noise right now, no. Nah. I think they're muted right now. <laughs> they can't really do too much right now. Like I said, they're not even a full team. When Clay gets back, you don't know how they're going to congeal together. You don't know. Like like I said, you don't know if he's going to be healthy, if he's going to be iffy, if he's not going to be like – he's got to be like at least 80% of himself for them to be any type of successful. And they got to hope and pray to God that Stephen Curry does not get hurt because if he gets hurt, it's another done deal. Who who are you going to have? Wanamaker? Who are they going to get to replace Steph Curry? He, plus, he's not getting any younger. I mean, so now he's it's, he's getting older another year. He's putting more mileage on his knees, on his ankles, on his wrist. You know, anything could happen right now. Then when Clay comes back, you know, Clay might be fresh, but Curry might be, uh, you know, I'm getting older now, man. Even though it's a year, a lot can change in a year, man. 
And I know you're concerned that, well, if they do make it, they're not going to do much unless there's some type of you know, magic like they knocked off the Mavericks that long time ago with Don Nelson. But what were the biggest concerns about them making the playoffs? I mean, what do you felt like could have held them back in making the playoffs? Injuries. Um, and I, I, it's just they're just not ready at all. I mean, like, look, who are they a threat to? Lakers, Portland. Um, heck, I, I can see you. Uh, and then look at Utah right now. They're the number one team in the West right now, man. I mean, they just don't have the firepower yet. When they get their team back, which is Clay Thompson, it's going to be like the return of the Sith, bro. They're going to come back with a vengeance, man. Watch. They're going to be the team that's going to be like, all right, Yo, you guys counted us out, even me, because I'm a. I have doubts right now of why mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to even make the playoffs. And I say it's because of injury plagues and like I just don't think they're they're mature enough right now. Even though they got two guys, as like I said, they've been champions, but they just don't have it right now. Even Steve Kerr looks lost out there right now, man. Trying to get these guys together, man. Like he doesn't know what he wants to do. I mean, I mean, they these guys. Their defense have gotten bad. They're too small. You know, Pascal, he's probably like, he kind of replaces Iguodala, but Iguodala, he was very athletic, man. I mean, this guy, Pascal, is pretty good. He's going to get better, um, but they just need to be on cruise control right now this year. They don't need to uh, try to force a force getting into the playoffs and then force trying to do so much and then someone gets hurt. That's what I think. I think just sit back and, like, take notes this year. And the thing about the West is that at any point, a couple of wins can move you up from 12 to fifth at any point because that the West is very competitive as opposed to the East where it looks like a disaster. And it's interesting that you never really think about it, how the impact of one player can really change a team. I mean, I guess it's obvious you can see what LeBron can do to one team, changes the Cavs into a competitive team, changes the Lakers into a good team again. But if Steph's there, then you add Clay. That could be even dangerous. But then again, who knows? They they could luck out, miss the playoffs, and hit the lottery and, and get the number one pick. And then now you have youth to go with that experience, and then it keeps going. But, you know, again, the lottery is a crapshoot. Yeah, it is. But they don't have no bench. Who they who they, they got good coming off the bench? <laughs> All those guys are young, and they're, I mean, they're new. They have no experience coming off the bench. I remember when they had uh, that year when they went 72, I think, and I forget how many losses. I think they went, like, like I think, it was seven, I think it was 73 and nine. And yeah, and like they had um they had Barbosa, they had David West, they had so many people on that bench, man, that like they could throw at you. There was so much experience on that on that team then. And they had Livingston, they had so many pieces. I mean, you look at them now, like what's his name? David Lakeham, the owners, the GMs. Oh, Joe Lickham. Joe Joe Lickham. There we go. I'm sorry. I remember that guy was saying, oh, we're light years ahead of the uh, league. Well, guess what? Um, I don't know what decisions you guys made, but they made some poor choices somewhere down the road, man. Either they got too comfortable or too cocky. That's the issue. And anytime you get a star like Kevin Durant, I'm sorry. Like, Draymond, he really, really dropped the ball on that one, man. He was the reason why that team, that dynasty – fell apart you know they could at least won another two three rings they should have beat cleveland if he didn't get in trouble and and get ejected and get suspended because they had the momentum they had the momentum that series i mean because all you had to do was win one game and lebron wasn't doing it it took Kyrie irving to win that game 
Yeah, I feel but like, Le- Le- I feel like Skip Bayless right now. Yeah, Le- Le- LeBron provoked Draymond, man. He really did. He didn't have to step over him like that, man. I mean, that's just like, like I don't know. That's like disrespect, but he got to control your composure. It's a veteran move, man. It's a veteran move. That's all I can say. Hats off to LeBron. Who do you think the Warriors match up well with if they make the playoffs? Um, In the West? Oh, man. Probably, I would say... Uh, Sacramento Kings right now. <laughs> That's probably who they would want to see. They don't want to see Portland. They don't want to see Lakers. They don't want to see Utah right now. Although they beat Utah. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe Utah, man. I think they could, in a best of seven, they probably could win uh, two games. <laughs> and that's it, man. I don't know. Because Donovan Mitchell was playing really good, man. And uh, Gobert, he's... Uh, yeah, I think he's uh, he's always been a klutz, but he's you know he's he's actually doing pretty well this season. So yeah, I would think they could match up with Utah. Who's the team that, as a Warriors fan, you don't want to see in the Western Conference playoffs? Lakers, you don't want to <laughs> see Portland. I don't think you don't want to see. Um, oh God, man, who else is out there? Jesus, Dallas, and you guys are fighting for the last spot to. Get to end up facing the Jazz. Jesus, man. I think they can beat Houston. <laughs> the Rockets. I think the Rockets are fused out. If they hit, if they get Lakers, if they get Dallas, if they get Utah, any one of those teams, man, even though I think they their money, they, they got a best chance of winning a series against either Utah. No, nah, I mean, it's just hard, man. They just don't have a chance right now. They don't. They're too young and too inexperienced right now. So I know for sure they don't want to see LeBron James right now because it would be RIP to the Golden State Warriors. As I like to call them, the Golden Mistake Warriors. Because <laughs> they made so many errors and bad decisions. They're the Golden Mistake Warriors right now, man. 2021 uh, wish they were champions. You know, and I always see that the Western Conference has always been an arms race. It was either... You're going to load up to face Jordan, or you're going to load up to to see if you guys can outduel Shaq in the West. Or now with LeBron, it's like okay, let's build a team to beat LeBron. It's always feels like the Western Conference has always been that way, while the Eastern Conference has been a completely different beast. Yeah, but but if you notice LeBron, man, he seems like he just cannot win without having a stacked team. That's just me, man. He he has to have a stacked team, bro. Look how they're struggling right now without Anthony Davis. Those guys are role players. So LeBron is leading them. Don't get me wrong. He's doing his thing. But he just seems like he has to have, which I guess it's the truth. I mean, I look at a guy like Giannis who has nobody. He has nobody right now. And um, he decided to stick with, you know, the Bucks. He's sticking with them. LeBron jumped from Cleveland. To Miami. To Miami. Down to L.A. I mean, back to Cleveland. Down he's going to L.A. I mean, come on, man. Like, it's it, it's just it's just not a good look for him, man. It's like, even with Curry, Curry's only been with Golden State Warriors, man. And they're even when they were great, when they, I mean, when they weren't so good, then they got good. And now when they're back down at the bottom again, he's still there. I'll say this this is a one question off the cuff. The one NBA Finals matchup you always wish you could have seen that we never got. And in your memory, Watching the NBA for almost 30 years. What's the one matchup you wish you would have seen? 
And this with any time period you talk yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. You could say back in before we were born, you could say, you know, any other matchup that you wish we got to see that we were robbed of or things didn't work out the way they did. I would love to see Jordan versus his team versus Shaq's and Kobe's team. Hmm. I would lo- I would love to see because the comparison of Kobe Bryant and Jordan is like, like a like a quarter right now, heads and tails. They're they're so neck and neck. Some people would say Kobe, believe it or not, is better than Jordan, man. And Jordan is better than Kobe right now. But I would love to see uh, NBA's final with those two teams, or even the Golden State Warriors team that they had now versus either that LA team or that Jordan team. One of those two, I would love to see any of those games, any of them. See, I was thinking this. I was thinking LeBron versus Kobe. We never got to see that in the finals when it mattered because mm. either Dwight Howard got in the way or the Celtics got in the way or all of a sudden LeBron didn't show up in that one game against Orlando. Or I will say this. I wanted to see the Bulls against the Rockets because that – would have been well, Lajuan masterclass on how you oh, play center. I mean, that that's just me personally because think about it, Lajuan made it to the finals three times, and everybody forgets about the first time because they got smoked by the Celtics. But in the, in the early eighties, but yeah, to see them against the Bulls, you know, it would have been the dream shake versus Jordan bringing them back because, like I said, Lajuan would have got his points against those Bulls centers. There's no doubt about it. Oh, then that would have probably been like a really good good game, man. Very very good game, man. It's like saying Puff that you will see the Harlem Shake versus the Dream Shake <laughs> versus versus the Milkshake. <laughs> Too many shakes, man. But I'll, I I think my favorite is the Steak and Shake. <laughs> Going on to the NBA Finals prediction. Who do you have coming out of the East? Who do you have coming out of the West? Who wins the finals and in how many games? All right. Obviously, with the addition of Blake Griffin, and if everybody get it, get it together. Um, and play on play at unison. I think the Nets is coming out of the East. They're going to beat Milwaukee. Obviously, coming out of the West will be the Lakers. I think those two teams will meet in the playoffs. And I think, and I hope, I would say the Nets in six. Oh, wow. I, honestly, that, I feel like they'd be rewarded for bad behavior. Just, oh, <laughs> you know, at least – LeBron and the made likable villains that people would cheer for. They, these guys are like, it's a bunch of head cases. That's all. Every single one of them is a bunch of head cases. You know, all the flight LeBron gets, that that Nets team would be the, uh, ew. I, <laughs> I mean, from their bland color scheme and everything else, it's like, yeah, everything. Hey, they live in Brooklyn. Hey, man. I mean, I just think they're going to, like, if it's going to come down to obviously defense, but. They got so much firepower right now, man. They got so much firepower right now. And it's just like, who's going to stop Durant? I mean, you can match up Durant with LeBron. Okay, they might cancel each other out. But who's going to stop Harden? Who's going to stop Kyrie? Who's going to stop those two? Pope, what's his name? Pope? They they have nobody. Kyle Kuzma? You're not going to. Come on, man. Those guys were riding LeBron's coattail, man. At least I think. Anyway, I, I just I just don't think they're gonna. Although I think Lakers bench is better than theirs, but they just got too much, man. It, they can throw so much stuff at the Lakers right now, man. Um, but that remains to be seen um, until they get to that point, you know. 
Yeah, Steve Nash is a new head coach. Who knows how he'll handle the playoffs? It's a completely different. It's a completely different thing, especially while you've been a player. It's a completely different story. You can ask Steve Kerr. I mean, Steve Kerr went from role player to being like you know legendary coach overnight. This this is a you don't think of extremely good superstar players end up becoming these masterful coaches because normally it ends up being a disaster. Yeah, but then once again, like look, man, because look, Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson built that Warriors team, man. And then just Steve Kerr, they, you know, they didn't want a brother to have too much. So uh, they put in Steve Kerr, and now all of a sudden Steve Kerr, the greatest coach, they built off the, <laughs> the back of Mark Jackson, who was the the founder, who got that, told them, hey, man, you need to get that kid, man, uh, Stephen Curry, who was building that team, you know, building them, you know. And now, same thing with Steve Nash. He, I guess he actually got all the pieces together himself. I don't know how it went, but he, he had so many assets. I mean, Brooklyn didn't have them. So they were like, man, we can grab whoever, you know. Um, I don't think Durant went over there because of Nash. I think Durant went over there to make his own name. You know, he didn't want to live in the Golden State Warriors shadow no more. Because as Stephen A. Smith says, it was the weakest move supposedly in the NBA history. And I don't think that. Because uh, look what LeBron's been doing all his time. I mean, Eddie went to Washington with a healthy Beal and healthy Wall. Exactly. That's a different story because yes. everybody's been wanting that for ten years. But what are ways people can reach out to you on social media? Uh so um, they can reach out to me on uh, Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Those are the only two uh, platforms I'm on right now. Um, I don't have any other type of, <laughs> of things besides those two platforms I have right now, man. The Los Angeles Lakers, the defending NBA champions, they are officially the seventh seed. And here to talk about the defending champions and their season is longtime Lakers fan Chuck Osherak talking about the Lakers. Thanks, sir. We're glad to be here. The first thing I want to ask you, what led to you becoming a Lakers fan and what drew you to them particularly? So uh, I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So obviously we don't have an NBA franchise. Growing up in the 80s, I uh, was a tall kid. I graduated high school uh, probably a buck 40. So uh, you put any tall kid on the basketball court, the coach is going to want to put them down low. And uh, I, I just got the slop beat out of me. So here I was, a scrawny little screen bean out there. And this guard came out, Magic Johnson. Taller point guard play outside, got everybody involved. And I looked at that and I said, you know what? I like how that guy plays. Plus he doesn't get the slop beat out of him underneath like everybody else's size. So from back in the early to mid eighties, I jumped on the uh, Showtime train and I've been a Laker fan ever since. Looking at the number of memorable moments as a Lakers fan, if you had to narrow it down to one, which is the one that stands out the most? It's tough to take it down to one, Earl. I would probably say against Portland in the 2000 Game 7 Western Conference Finals. If you think back, L.A. jumped out to a big 3-1 lead in the series. They uh, lost Game 5. They lost Game 6. They were down 20 in Game 7. And the Lakers come roaring back. And with about 40 seconds left, they're up four. Kobe uh, drives down the middle of the lane. Shaq goes back door on the right wing. And Kobe puts it up there and Shaq throws it down for a six-point lead. And the rest is history. So it's difficult to narrow it down to one, but that's probably the one that I remember the most. What would you say is your most unique 
piece of Lakers memorabilia that you have? Again, that's tough to narrow it down to one. I'm a big card and memorabilia collector. So I have a Kobe rookie. I have a Shaq rookie, Magic rookie. I love all of those. I have an autographed Kobe mini basketball and an autographed Magic Johnson basketball. So those two are probably at the top of my list. Going into the season, what were the expectations, especially being the defending champions out of the bubble and a 72 game regular season? What were you hoping for the Lakers to do? I mean, as a Laker fan, is there really any other answer regardless of the year? You were planning on winning a championship that year. I mean, if your aspirations are are to make the playoffs, no, you're a Jazz fan. So, I mean, as a Laker fan, you are expecting to win a championship or at least compete for a championship every year. And coming out of last year, I, I don't think that is any different. Looking at everything and seeing they got out to such a hot start, I guess there were no doubts at all that, hey, these guys are going to make the playoffs. So, I mean, throwing that out of the window, were you concerned at any point, especially following the injuries, that they might have slipped all the way out of the playoff race, not even just to the 7-10 to 10 spot, but out of the playoffs in general? Well, I mean, think about it. They had to win five in a row to get back up into the seven spot. So I'd be lying if I was saying here saying that I wasn't concerned at all, uh, especially Schroeder was on the shelf. Uh, you had Davis on the shelf, LeBron. I don't think I ever went complete chicken little. The sky is falling. But of course, yeah, if they don't win those five, who knows where they are? And I think any team that was fighting to get into the play-in tournament, yeah, they had to have had some concern. Looking at the playoffs itself, who in particular do you feel the Lakers match up the best with? Who are you hoping that the Lakers can exploit their matchup with, even though the brackets are sort of already set? Who are you looking forward to seeing in the playoffs? So I'm going to answer based upon last night's game, and then I'm going to uh, expect you probably to push me a little bit more. Who do I want to face or who am I afraid of in general? I'm not afraid of any team, but based upon last night, I'm afraid of every team. You take a look at it. Injuries are going to be key, keeping this team healthy. But at the end of the day, you have a defending champion that has two of the best seven players in the league on their team. You are led by a player that has been to the NBA Finals nine of the last 10 years, and I think is easily one of the top five players of all time, just to keep the argument out there. So I look at the East and the West, and I could see them beating every team. I could see them losing to anybody on any given night. From a true matchup perspective, I think if you look at last night, this team needs to go back and play more of a small ball with Davis at the five. And so I like any matchup that is going to give them an edge there. So I kind of take a look at it. Jazz have had a great season. I like Davis against Gobert in that situation. I'm not really worried about, about Phoenix. Again, great, great year with Paul coming over. I would be really nervous of a Denver team if they were healthy right now. And I think even with them not being healthy, Denver is a team to be worried about. And I think we have to be worried about our little brother. I mean, the Clippers are here to stay, and we pushed them in the sand for enough years. Eventually, you have to expect them to come out fighting and and win. So I would say the Clippers and uh, even Denver. And based upon last night, 
I would not want to face Golden State again. You take a look at what that team has done. I don't care where they are with Green and Curry. They play together better than most any duo out there. And looking at LeBron, going into the Lakers history, who would you say is the greatest Laker of all time? Because I know there's plenty of debates there. And some people will say it'll extend outside of the court and into the front office too, which would put Jerry West up there as well. But to you, in your mind, who is the greatest Laker of all time? So I take a look at that question. I think it's a great question. I think if you just look at on the court, Kobe has every right to be in that discussion. I take a look at kind of what the players have done after their career for the community, for the franchise. I think it really then puts West and Magic up there over top. And I'm going to go with Magic. I am biased. He is my favorite sports player of all time. I think it's difficult to think of if you name a franchise at random that more people aren't going to think about magic other than than maybe that are people that were born after the year 2000. I think he is the franchise and made them who they are today. You know, and I've always think about this because I look at Kareem and I just think, you know, that is a tough choice too. And I know that he technically could be the choice of the greatest player for two teams. He still needs the Milwaukee scoring and he was only there for like five or six years. But that's why I always think Kareem too, just because while Magic added the pizzazz, I think Kareem was a focal part of Showtime as well. And even before it got to Showtime. And that's an interesting point because obviously I think of Kareem, I think it would be interesting if we got the airplane version of Kareem throughout his career with a little bit of personality, a little bit of, of swagger, to see how he would be viewed in the public. I mean, a great player, but I just don't think he stood out in a manner that the other Laker greats have. It's sort of like a Duncan-like charisma. Solid player, lunch bell player, will go to work, but it's just like, you said magic, he walks into a room, it's like him and Shaq. Those are two guys that have that smile and everybody glows, which is weird because I think the Kobe thing with the charisma, it's like it's like Jordan without the charisma. It's the one thing that I see when I see Kobe, and it's just the commercials Jordan did and all this other stuff, and it's just Kobe did everything on the court, but the personality was... It was an intensity. I don't know if you've ever watched interviews with Kobe, but I've watched a couple and he talks about whenever he was playing summer league and he was 11 years old and he played in the Philly summer league with all kids his age, went the entire summer and did not score a point. And at the age of 11 or 12, developed a plan on how to get better for the next summer. I don't know about you. I was playing in the sandbox, maybe playing some street hockey. Yeah, I was shooting some hoops. I was not developing a training regimen on how to go to the left at the age of 12. I mean, there was just an intensity and he took it away from basketball. I mean, you, you take a look at what he did with books and movies and his entrepreneurship. I mean, he was a great person, a great role model for so many individuals. I think a lot of individuals can kind of learn from that Mamba mentality and, and take away from that a little bit. Yeah, he was definitely focused. No one can ever take away his focus. It's just everyone's thinking, man, if he was like, 
people wanted to know, I guess, to be a little more personable and, and things like that. It was sort of like the Kareem and Magic thing in reverse with him and Shaq, where it's like you have the guy, the personality, and then you have the other guy who's ready to work, but let his game do the talking for him. And Kobe is on record that he didn't understand why so many players would go vacation with other players and and with players on other teams. And another good Kobe story, at least in my opinion, Jason Williams came into the uh, practice facility and uh, Kobe was already on the other end of the court drenched and they were playing that night. And Jason Williams talks about how he's getting laced up and looking down at the other end. And Kobe is going full speed. And if anybody out there has ever practiced, whether it be golf, whether it be baseball, whether it be basketball, it is real easy to just walk through the motions. And here Kobe is going full speed with his drills on the day of a game. Williams goes out there. Apparently, he practices for like an hour, two hours, comes over, sits down for a little bit. Kobe's still going at it. Goes back to the sauna, goes back and gets cleaned up, comes out. Kobe's still at it. After the game, Williams comes over to him and goes, Kobe, it was a game day. What were you thinking? He looks at him and said, I knew you were down there. I wanted to make sure that you knew that you would never outwork me. And here's this one point, not even one of the best point guards in the league at that time. And he was going to make sure that he knew that Kobe had his number. I mean, you just kind of look at so many of the stories like that. There was an intensity to Kobe that maybe him and Jordan, I don't know, Tiger, if you want to bring in uh, players from outside, um, basketball but there was just a competitive intensity that i wouldn't even wanted to play ping pong against kobe yeah competitive fire is something that probably couldn't be matched i mean it's it's easy for jordan to do that because he's beaten everybody (laughs) you know he'll play golf with barkley and everybody else i'm like oh it's fine because he's got their number and he's beaten them on the court numerous times but you know i can definitely see that you know for kobe it was nonstop work and i think with jordan it was like work hard play hard a little and Kobe was able to work hard and then keep working hard, but then spend time with his family. So I think that's always a big thing. And it would have been interesting just to see what the future had in store for him. I think it's odd to say, but I I think most people will remember where they found out that Kobe passed away. I mean, I think that's one of those moments that you specifically remember where, how you found out. So yeah, I would agree with that. Looking at the NBA finals, Who do you have coming out of the West? Who do you have coming out of the East? Who wins and in how many games? So I'm going to say coming out of the West, I'll throw a teaser out there and say there's a team that will come from L.A. out of the West. And then I'll transition over to the East and say I think the East is going to be tough. I think it's difficult to pick against the Nets, but I'm going to go with Philadelphia. I know there are a lot of holes that you can poke in Philly, but I'm a big believer that defense wins championships. I'm a big believer that defense doesn't go cold. I think the Nets are going to have difficulty playing together. I think one of the disadvantages that that Nets team has is unlike most big threes, you have three players there that are used to having the ball in their hands. 
most other of the big superstar teams have somebody that is really comfortable playing off ball, if not two players. And I think it's kind of the infamous, if you have three quarterbacks, you really don't have one. I think at points that's going to come back and hurt the Nets. So I know they're a number one seed, but I still think that Philly is going to quote unquote surprise some people and be the team that comes out of the East. Coming out of the West, I'm going to say it is the Lakers. I kind of take a look at it and there are a lot of questions to this Lake Show team. I do think that the Clippers are going to give them a dogfight if and when they run into them. I know a lot of people are concerned about depth. I take a look at depth in the playoffs. I think with the extra days of rest, I think with the extra TV timeouts, I think playoff basketball is more conducive to a shorter rotation. And you tend to see that with most teams. So I think if you can keep Davis and James healthy, Schroeder, I think hopefully started to get his legs back. And I take a look at that bench and between Kuzma, Matthews, Pope, I mentioned earlier, I really would like to see this team go small. So as much as I love how Drummond plays, I think he's the third center in this group right now. So I would like to see them play much more with Davis, have Montel actually sub on him a lot more. And I think they have the outside shooting that they can actually come out of the West and face off against Philly. Who do you have winning and in how many games? So I'm going to say the Lakers. Again, I know there are a lot of questions. I just think things can break for them. And I'm not going to go against an individual that's been in the finals nine out of 10 years. I know his record in the finals, it leaves a lot to be excited about, but I would much rather be there and give them the chance. And I think they would beat Philly in six. What are ways people can reach out to you on social media just to talk a little bit of Lakers basketball and and other sports? And do you have any shout outs or things you'd like to promote as well? I would say you can reach me on uh, Facebook. Chuck Osherak is is my name. Uh, That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. Very, very avid card and memorabilia collector. So whether it be sports, whether it be collectibles, please feel free to reach out and would be uh, glad to talk. With me to talk about the Portland Trailblazers is Seth Morgan, a longtime Trailblazers fan. Thank you so much for really coming on the show. I know had to do a little bit of crowdsourcing in order to get that done, but thanks to the wonders of the internet and Twitter and social media, which you know some people say is a bit of a uh, cesspool sometimes, depending on you know your preferences when it comes to that. It worked out, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Earl. I appreciate it. Uh, Seth, how did you become a Blazers fan and what drew you to them? Well, you gave me a little bit too much credit saying long time. Really, truly, I've been a hardcore fan since the 2012-2013 season. But I moved out here to Portland in like 2007, started going to games up in Portland in that 2011-2012 season or so, and just slowly started going to more and more games and like I bought a quarter season package when it was like Gerald Wallace and Nick Batum and Ray Felton and LaMarcus Aldridge, like really like slowly as they were starting to come out of the doldrums from after losing Roy and people kind of starting to come back in from the jail Blazers era and stuff. 
and I got in like Damian Lillard's rookie year. And I was there for like that 13 game losing streak to end that season. But there was clearly energy around the team. They were a lot of fun to watch, regardless of whether they were winning and losing. They were just having a fun time. And it just kind of slowly started with like one game, getting cheap tickets from Fred Meyer and then slowly increasing. And uh, I've been a season ticket holder since 2015. To you, what is your most memorable Blazers moment? I am wondering if it's the Lillard shot against the Rockets or if it's something else. I always think about that one. And I remember watching that live and I'm not a big uh, West Coast basketball person just because I fall asleep so early, but I was up <laughs> at that moment. And seeing that shot, I thought, man, this is what the NBA playoffs should be about. But what about it to you? What is your most memorable Blazers moment? Yeah, that's 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 certainly up there. Like, you've got that, and then you've got the bad shot versus OKC two years ago. But the point nine against Houston, it was my first playoff game that I'd gotten to go see, and it was it was a great series. Like you had LaMarcus going off in games one and two in Houston that this series was just tight and back and forth. But like that moment was just, holy cow, this kid's special. He's got, you know, balls of steel. And it was just so exciting. And you could feel the buzz in the city around the team and in that season, that series and everything. And you had Wes and Nick and Rolo, like arguably probably the best five starting starting five lineup the Blazers have ever had, like those five guys. So that moment was huge. And without that moment happening, I don't think you get that shot versus OKC to close out that series. Like if Lillard doesn't have that moment to begin kind of his trajectory is that guy that can close up games with huge shots. I don't know that that, that trajectory is the same. What's your most unique piece of team related memorabilia that you have? I've got one of Dame's jerseys from the bubble with the, uh, how many more on the back of it, the message for social equality and justice. And there were only, you know, 15, 20 or so of those made. They were not made for sale. For you to be able to get something like that, what does it mean to you? It's really cool. I've got it. It's just hanging. My goal is to get it signed at some point in the next season. Then I'm going to frame it and I'm going to auction it off and give the proceeds to Black Lives Matter or another social justice movement. Going into the season, what were your expectations for the Blazers? How did you see things rounding up, especially in a Western Conference where it looks like people were loading up, especially the changes with Phoenix and Utah progressing and Denver coming back another year, and of course the Clippers and Lakers as well? Right, yeah, it was certainly the West was going to be another just absolute grinder the entire season. I think any Blazers fan going in that tries to be at least objective most of the time saw them probably finishing in four or five, probably behind Denver in the division. But right there in the middle of the pack, you know, they'd shown consistently that they were able to get into the playoffs that Terry Stotts was able to put together lineups that get the job done and get you into the postseason. So finishing in the middle of the pack, I think, was probably expected. Was there a point you knew that the Blazers were going to be in the playoffs? No doubt about it. Honestly, the beginning of the season, again, like I said, like they've they've got the history behind them where they've shown that they can get into the postseason year in, year out. I think it would have been any Blazers fan would lie to you if they'd be like, oh, I don't know that we're going to have to wait and see how the season goes. I think everybody expected them to get in. So there's not any specific point during the season where I knew that they were a lock. Like I kind of felt like they were a lock all the way along. 
was there a point you had a little bit of worries about them missing the playoffs or I guess in the new case, <laughs> slipping into the seven to 10 spot in the West? Right. Well, which 20 point loss do you want me to pick? They had a number of moments early on in the season where the the first game of the season, they lost to the Jazz by 20 points. And they had a number of instances where they would fall behind by 20 in the first half and just put themselves into a lot of holes. Probably specifically the moment that I was just like, all right, we're just going to have to let this season go. There was a game against the Spurs at home where it was close for the first three quarters, but the Spurs just drubbed the Blazers at home by like 16 points in the fourth quarter. And this was two or three games after they'd just lost CJ and were drubbed by the Pacers by like 34 points. And then they lost Nurk a couple games later to that broken wrist against the Hawks. And and then that loss to the Spurs, it was just like, they clearly looked so exhausted at the end of that fourth quarter. It was just like, all right, we've lost CJ. We've lost Nurk. We've had so many games with Robert Covington and Derek Jones, and they still can't figure. And Rodney Hood was still in the lineup at that point. We've got so many guys, we can't figure out the minutes. We're trying to get Gary Trent and Ant and Nasir Little and all these guys. And it was just like, all right, now we've lost two of our big guys. We've just gone through three big losses. And like, that was the point where it was just like, all right, let's just roll with it and see what happens over the rest of the season. Looking at the playoffs, who did you feel in the Western Conference the Blazers matched up with the most, regardless of where they're sitting in the playoffs right now? The subject of a lot of discussion, of course, on Twitter between the Blazers fans. And I think there's pretty much a consensus that where we fell, where we ended up getting Denver in the first round, I think that's the team we're best matched up with against in as much as our chances of winning the series. I think we weren't going to end up probably facing the seven or the eight. So uh, probably another team that would be a good matchup would be the, you know, the Warriors. I think that would have been a pretty good series. Dame and Steph have some great history in being able to go back and forth at least in regular season games. Steph obviously has the hand in the postseason, but outside of those couple of teams, you know, a lot of the other teams in the West are going to be very difficult for the Blazers to beat. They're going to be tough matchups. Speaking of those teams, which teams as a Blazers fan scare you, especially in the Western Conference right now? I know everybody's going to say, especially as a wounded animal, the Lakers are probably one of them. But are they? And if not, who else? You know, honestly, not for me. I don't think so. But the Clippers, for sure, I think are the scariest matchup at all for the Blazers. They've got their first seven or eight guys, really. They can throw two of them at Dame at any time and force Portland to really step up and show whether or not they have figured out ways to beat that trap, to beat the Blitz. You know, they've had a been playing some really good basketball over the last 15 games or so in being able to get out there and get other guys involved and keeping Dame off the ball. But the Clippers is probably that toughest matchup. What is it that you feel the Blazers will need to get over the hump in the Western Conference? What is it that really will have to come to fruition for them to have that success and maybe even punch a ticket in the finals? I think they really just uh, struck a luck. The organization, you know, they've shown who they are. You know who they are. You know what kind of offense Terry Stotts is going to run. The organization has made it clear that they're not going to move on from CJ McCollum. Probably they've said a number of times, like, we're not going to trade CJ unless we get equitable value. And that's 
going to be a top 10 pick and a starting top five guy and a a good role player, a good wing. You know, that's the kind of thing that they need to get out of a trade there. So since that's not going to happen, they've kind of shown who they are. And so they just need a little bit of luck. They need to get out of this Denver series. And the bracket that they're in is probably a little bit lighter than the top. And if they can, you know, stay healthy and pull out a game on the road, then I think they've got a chance probably any series. I don't know that there's any move like everybody wants to say fire Terry Stotts and get a new coach. Like what coach are you going to get to replace Terry Stotts? That's going to be available right now. And is going to be miles better to, you know, you're not getting Steve Kerr or anything like that. You're not getting Dwayne Casey. Uh, you're not getting Nick nurse. You know, they're not going to have those types of the availability to get a big, a guy like Giannis or a guy like Kawhi or LeBron or, you know, whoever's coming around in free agency, they're not going to look at Portland. So you know who the team is. So you're not going to insert something into the team to get them over that hump. They're going to need to just bear down and get it done and get a little bit of luck on their side. And then they will. Looking at your NBA finals prediction, who do you have coming out of the West? Who do you have coming out of the East? Who wins the finals and in how many games? Uh, well, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't make the prediction with the Blazers coming out of the West. I actually like the Knicks coming out of the East. They lost all three games against Philly, but the last two games they played extremely uh, well, extremely tight. I think they have a chance to beat Philly in that bracket and make it to the East. And that other side of it is a little bit more bruising, I think. They're an exciting team. They're fun to watch. So I think the Knicks will be a dark horse team out of the East. And so Blazers and Knicks, and I'm, I'm going to go Blazers and six. You want a realistic take? I'm going to take the Suns out of the West again versus the Knicks out of the East. But I think the Suns take that series in five. Do you have any shout outs you want to give? Anything you want to promote or need to promote or feel free? Uh, we, nothing that I need to promote. I'm really bad at self-promotion, so I'm going to keep my side gigs out of here. But I would give a shout out to the team at Flagrant Mag, wonderful basketball magazine that is uh, owned and crafted and curated by a wonderful group of women that are involved in NBA Twitter. So pick up copies of Flagrant Mag 1 and 2. And with me here to talk about the Mavericks and their shots at the playoffs is Patrick Nessa a big, big Dallas Mavericks fan who lives in Miami, which is unique. So I know we have a few stories we can talk about, especially what it's like being a Mavericks fan down in Miami. How are you doing today, Patrick? Good, man. Good. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, no, and I appreciate as well you taking time out of your busy schedule, especially in the middle of a week. The first thing I wanted to ask you, how did you become a Mavericks fan and what drew you to them? Uh, it's funny because people ask me this all the time. I originally became a Mavericks fan when, what year was that? I think it was 04, 05. Um, I was at my grandmother's house. I was waiting to get picked up by my parents. And um, I turned on the TV and there was a live NBA game on. It was the Rockets versus the Mavs. Uh, I don't remember too much about it. The only thing that stuck out to me at the time, because it was my first time watching an NBA game, was uh, Dirk hitting, I don't know, he hit like 51, 52. I think it was his career high, actually. And it was also against uh, Yao Ming and T-Mac because they were there at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I'm a big soccer guy, so I'm, I'm very much into the style of uh, German soccer. And so seeing a German NBA player 
you know, there's already uh, a connection for me based off of my love for another sport. So I was like, this guy's German. It's kind of cool. He stands out because he's not your typical NBA player. And uh, he had a, a, a fantastic game. And uh, they beat the Rockets. And I was like, damn, this is, this is kind of entertaining. So from there on now, I, I was a Mavs fan. What is your most memorable Mavericks moment? It's easy to say 2011 Game 6. You know, we clinched our first uh, NBA title. But um, I guess that would be pretty cliche to say. So I would say a game that really stuck out to me was a Game 7 we had in 2006 versus the Spurs. Dirk, he hit uh, an and-one shot, driving it into the lane. Uh, he got a layup in. He got fouled. I think that was Manu Ginobili who fouled him. And with that, it like closed out the game and it guaranteed us a, a spot in the finals. So that it was just insane, insane to see that happen. What's the most unique piece of team-related memorabilia that you have? Unique. Um, when the Mavericks played the Heat in the finals in 2011, uh, game six was actually here in Miami. Uh, one of my former, uh, when, when I was in high school, there was a security guard. He was a big sports guy and into collecting memorabilia. So he would usually know where the teams would stay at when they're in town. So through him, I found out where the Mavericks were staying during their visit in Miami. And I actually had my sister, who's pretty artistic. She drew out a poster for me, and it just had the Mavs emblem on it. And it, it was probably about the length of, I don't know, probably shoulder width apart. So it was a pretty nice big poster. So the morning of game six, before the team went out for the shoot-around at the arena, I took it to the hotel. And when they were walking by, going to the team bus, uh, they, I had a few players actually take pictures and sign my poster. So it wasn't a piece of memorabilia that I bought. It was actually, you know, handcrafted. So it was kind of cool. That is pretty cool. I mean, that's something you can hold on to for the rest of your life. Going into the season, what were your expectations? Uh, a new season, not completely affected by the pandemic. At least this time, there's no huge gap. It's a later start or a shortened season. What were you hoping the Mavericks would be able to do in this season? So it was a tough loss by the Clippers. Uh, how we exited round one in the bubble. The thing was that we didn't have KP. So Luca was, you know, carrying a lot of the workload. And with him alone, it was interesting to say that, you know, we put up a pretty fair fight. So the the thought that was lingering in my head the whole time was like, damn, what if what if KP was healthy? Like where would this series end? Would we have made it out the first round or not? So the expectation to the season was to have a fully healthy squad. As you could probably tell, that's not really the case for the most part. But the expectation was to have a healthy squad and to make it past the first round, in all honesty. Was there a point where you were confident that the Mavericks were getting into the playoffs? Was there a, a really a particular moment that said, yep, we're fine, we're getting in. I know it's going to be a tough haul, but we're getting in. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, we struggled early into the season. Once uh, we got past the All-Star break, we started to really find a rhythm. And uh, for the most part, you know, when we had big matches versus whether it be the Lakers, the Suns, the Nuggets, uh, the Nets, uh, we would put up a fight. And we, I, I, think, I feel safe to say we won most of those games. And that's when I really started to realize, like, even though we're not fully fit 100%, this team could could do could do damage. It seemed like we we're starting to get a little bit more respect in the, in the league. Was there a time you were worried about the Mavericks making the playoffs? Oh yes, a hundred percent. Before the All Star break, 
Coach Carlisle, it didn't seem like he had a solid idea of what to have for a starting lineup. His approaches from one game to the next, they seemed fairly inconsistent. And we weren't getting results. It, it was it was pretty frustrating to say the least. So prior to the all-star break, I didn't know where the season was gonna go. Looking at the playoff brackets and everybody's comfortable with everyone being in the playoffs and you know you're getting in, whether it's going to be in the top six or the top seven, who do you feel like the Mavericks match up the best with? Match up the best. It's a shootout out there. It's, it's, it's hard to say. I'm looking at the standings right now, and I believe it or not, I would, I would say probably the Suns. I feel like the Suns, even though you know they're one of the more dominating teams at the moment, I feel like we match up well against them. Why do you feel uh, that that you guys match up well with them? What is it that you feel like you guys do well against the Suns? Uh, just position by position, I feel like um, we we're more. I don't know if I want to say talented, but I, I feel like matchup wise, we we would do well against them because versus um, I know the the versus the Lakers, we have a tiebreaker and we beat them two games, but they weren't fully fit. Versus the Trailblazers, they're tough. They they beat us in, in our season series. The Nuggets, I, I wouldn't want to face the Nuggets. We've we've pretty much, I think we got swept by them. So it, it's it's a difficult matchup against the Nuggets. So it doesn't leave too many options. And the Warriors, I do not want to see at all. <laughs> I know that the way a lot of the teams are surging right now, that it gets to that point of the season where it can be a crapshoot and, and you never know what's going to happen. Why do some of those teams scare you that you're worried about seeing in the playoffs? The Warriors, because of one guy, one guy only, Steph Curry. We all know he can do whatever he wants on that court. And uh, especially, luckily, we're, we're avoiding that, that play-in tournament. So that gives me a sigh of relief. I think we just need to win one more game or we could depend on a loss from the Lakers, if I'm not mistaken. But the Warriors, they're, they're a scary team. They're a scary team. The Lakers, they're not fully fit. They don't seem like they have, you know, a rhythm going. So the Warriors and the Nuggets are probably the teams that, that worry me. And the Blazers. It's, it's stacked. It's stacked. Now, I know Luka Doncic has become really a star and buzzing in the NBA. And it's unique that really going back even well before the Dirk days, the Mavericks really sort of cornered the market on European players, East European players like Detlef Shrimp and guys like that beforehand. And then, of course, Dirk and and now Luca and Kristaps Porzingis. But what is it that makes Luca such a dynamic player that people love? Uh, that's a good question. I think his diverse talent, his his IQ, his awareness, his way of play makes everybody around them better. Um, I wish I could give you a stats off the top of my mind, but I think in, in every game they bring it up of how efficient and powerful the team is when Luca's on the court versus when he's not. And like with with Dirk Nowitzki, he, he was a superstar as well, but a, a guy like Luca. He's getting you eight assists a game, and he's drawing in double teams to get other people involved. So it's it's special. It's something very special to watch. So he gets everybody involved, and everyone gets better. You know, you don't find that in, in any player. What is what it is that it? the Mavericks do well? What do we do well? I feel safe to say they're very compact. They're a team. They work together as a team. It's not really, even though Luka is a superstar, he's a rising star in the league, he doesn't have that demeanor like, you know, this is 
it's the team is just him, you know, on and off the court. It seems like, you know, everybody is on a good page. They get well, like they seem like they're, they're on a good page with one another. So I see it like more of like a family, you know, so it seems like they have very good chemistry on and off the court. Looking at the NBA finals prediction, who do you have coming out of the Eastern Conference? Who do you have coming out of the Western Conference? Who wins the NBA finals and in how many games? Oh, man, that, one, that one's a toss-up. On the Eastern Conference, it'll probably be the Nets, I would say. Long shot. For the West, that thing's a shootout. I, I, don't, even, I don't even know what to tell you. Of course, meeting a Mavs fan, I would love to see the Mavs. Expectation-wise, I think we can make it to the second round. If we make it to the Western Conference Finals, it'd be a very successful season. But I would say maybe the Nuggets or the Suns. If the Mavericks don't come across them, I feel like we could beat them. Um, so if it's the Nuggets and, and Nets or the Suns and Nets, I feel like the Nuggets could beat out the Nets for the fact being that like I, I see the Nuggets play and it reminds me of the Mavericks, like very like team-based basketball. And, and, and I, I love it. I love it. Nobody is here to claim, you know, the shine of the team or the image of the team. If it was the Nuggets and Nets in the finals, I would probably take the Nuggets in about six games. Pretty lofty. I know everybody, depending on when I talk to people, a lot of people were at least initially up on the Lakers, and now they're a lot of, <sighs> down on the Lakers. It's it's interesting how those injuries to LeBron and Anthony Davis have impacted uh, everyone's choice. But, I mean, how – and I know we don't want to make it about the Lakers too much, but how – far do you think the Lakers can go before they reach the end of their run this season? Oh, man, I don't know. I wish, like like you just said it yourself, I'm pretty sure you hear week by week a whole different answer. Right now, well, they just got a big win versus, uh, who was it? Oh, against the Knicks two nights ago. But if they're in that play-in tournament, in all honesty, if they come across the Warriors, I don't see them making it into the actual playoffs. And that would be such a huge fall, especially for the defending champs. Before we wrap this up, Patrick, I really do appreciate it. Do you have any shout outs you want to give, any social media that you want to promote or anything else that you want to promote while you're on? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Just for everybody to be a good human being. That's all. I know, especially right now, we need a lot of that, especially with whatever's going on, not to get too in depth with it. It's just sometimes you just need a little bit of, Oh, what's the word? Consideration of others sometimes because it doesn't seem like that's been happening a lot more lately. It seems like it's going the other direction. Agreed. Agreed. The L.A. Clippers have always felt like second-class citizens in the city of Los Angeles or Anaheim at some point to the Lakers. But this year, they, as in the past really decade-plus, They've been making their own way and especially getting out of the reputation that everybody knew in the old Donald Sterling days. And here with me to talk about the L.A. Clippers and their chances in the playoffs is longtime Clippers fan Sergio Arambula. I tried. I tried. Yeah, I know. Aaron Thank Bula. you, Earl. Aaron Appreciate Bula. it. I almost made it. Arambula. <laughs> Thank you. Sergio Thank Aaron you, Earl. I, I, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for being here, and thank you for being patient with me as I try to phonetically sound out your name, and I really appreciate it. Oh, oh, always, always, man, always. First thing I want to ask you, how did you become a Clippers fan, and what was the draw, especially when you had the Lakers 
either next door or all the way in Inglewood at one time? <laughs> That's the biggest question all my friends ask me. Growing up in LA, Lakers, they've dominated this market forever. And I actually got involved with the Clippers was because back in the day, I used to give out free tickets to the games because no one would go. And uh, that's kind of how I started watching Clipper games. Uh, it was back in the day, I think, with Pooh Richardson, back when the Anaheim days. Uh, but it wasn't until the, the turn of the century, right around 98, 99, when we got Lamar Odom, uh, we got Quentin Richardson, uh, Darius Miles. It was like the young and up-and-coming team. We had moved into Staples. And I really just kind of attached myself to like the young core, right? They were like the young kids coming up. And I liked the Lakers. It wasn't like I had any beef with them at all. It was just that something about the Clippers drew me. And it was, it was also because I couldn't afford to go to Laker games. They were just more expensive. And I thought the entertainment value was still there, although the Clippers were awful. You know, we could probably spend five or ten bucks back in the day and me and my pops would go to games. And, you know, I could still go and watch uh, the Blazers or, or, or go watch the Knicks play. So that's kind of how I became a Clipper fan. Little did I know that we were that bad. When you're a kid, you just go there and kind of enjoy the game. You don't really think about how bad the team is. And then as I started growing older, you started realizing like, oh my, yeah, we are really bad. <laughs> so that's kind of how I started becoming a Clipper fan, really. What is your most memorable Clippers moment? Wow, I got a couple of them, but I think the one that really stands out and that the one that's really re redefined of who we are is the day Chris Paul got traded to, to the Clippers. I remember being in college. I, I went to school out in Seattle and I remember getting the notification and I couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't imagine having Chris Paul in his prime coming into the Clipper organization that already had DeAndre Jordan and they had Blake Griffin. And I, I'll always remember, I believe they were both in a practice facility in, you know, somewhere. I don't remember where exactly. And they, the cameras caught Blake Griffin, you know, super ecstatic and excited. And I remember him saying, oh, my God, it's about to be Lob City. Right. And he coined the term. He was the one that coined the term. But it was just really between him and uh, and DeAndre Jordan kind of being so excited. that They're about to get a, a, an, an amazing point guard to, to really delegate the ball around. And that just flipped the switch and it became Lob City, right? And for a solid three, two to three, maybe four years, the most exciting basketball team in the league. And uh, I think that changed everything in terms of going from we might make it to the playoffs to we are contenders now. And I think that for me was probably the most memorable moment as, as a Clipper fan. I will tell you that, well, as a Wizards fan, and the, my biggest Clippers moment is the viral one. It's DeAndre Jordan's dunk over Brandon Knight. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's oh the one. Oh, my gosh. And the call, right? Ralph Lawler, who's just an amazing announcer, and we've had amazing announcers all over L.A. I mean, Vince Scully, you have uh, Chick Hearn, right? And Ralph Lawler is up there with him. The call he made when he dunked it on, on Knight, and Knight stayed on the ground. It was just like he really put him to sleep. And uh, I, I just I always go back and replay it. And sometimes they'll even have uh, voiceovers of Jim Ross do, doing the WWE style. And they'll drop in the coffin. And, and you know, when Mankind gets tossed out, I think it was uh, a Hell in a Cell match. And it lines out perfectly <laughs> 
you know, and, and it was, that was another great, that was, that was another one of the most memorable moments, but that, that was an amazing one. That's all I think. I've never heard any other version except for what the one with Jim Ross. And that yeah. has pretty much been the iconic one and how they ended with the look on DeAndre Jordan's face. Yeah, yeah, he's like, he's like, ooh, I just remember, I think it was Karan Butler on the side, and he just like looking like he couldn't believe what he just saw. He like ran to the other side, and it that was up there. That was up there. And we still celebrate it, and believe it or not, I think Twitter still does like a an anniversary dunk of it, and uh, you know, it's always nice to to go back and, and see what happened. Going into the season, expectations after the disappointing conference semifinal loss to Denver. And the firing of Doc Rivers and bringing in Teron Liu, what were you hoping for the Clippers to do, especially another year with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, that was discouraging last year. Really heartbreaking, right? We we had it in the back of 3-1, and in Clippers fashion, we blew it, right? We blew it. You know, I think it took a lot of air out of our sails. We, we kind of were like, okay, let's maybe reset expectations and see what we can do. I think expectations were always to make the playoffs, right? Especially when you invest so much in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's just how high in terms of seeding and who our matchups were going to be. Early on, I think as Clipper fans, we know we were going to be up in the maybe the top four seeds and that's what we've accomplished. So at least that expectation has been met. In terms of how far we go, now that's a whole different uh, that's a whole different question. But I think from the onset, we we knew that that we were top four contenders to be in the mix of Western Conference uh, teams. Obviously, as a whole, you know we know the Nets got much better. We know the Sixers have been doing great on the East Coast. But I think in terms of West Coast teams, we are right there where we expected it to be. Now, in terms of finishing, that's that's a whole different question. What's your most unique piece of Clipper-related memorabilia that you have? You know, I didn't have much as a kid. I remember we had, you know, back in the day, the Beanie Babies were a big thing. So I remember I used to collect those, those little uh, Beanie Baby Clipper ones because no one wanted them. And I believe it or not, I remember having, and I don't have it anymore, but it was an Eric Piotrkowski one, which is who, you know, who, I, who collects an Eric Piotrkowski Beanie Baby, <laughs> right? But I ended up getting a, a Blake Griffin jersey. I remember getting it. I don't have it anymore, unfortunately, either. But I remember that was the first uh, big piece of uh, memorabilia or or just team uh, gear that I had was a Blake Griffin jersey. Drafting him was a big deal for us. And right off the bat, he gets injured. And, you know, next thing you know, it's like, oh, great. And Clippers curse again. You know, we can't get anything right. That was probably the most memorable one that I've had. Did you watch them when Dominique played for the Clippers? I think that was just a little bit before my time. So I, I didn't get to see that. God, I, had, I mean, I've had terrible play. I'm not sorry, not to talk ill of them, but it's just you know we had Cherokee Parks, um, uh, you know Eric Pawkowski, Pooh Richardson. I think Lorenz and Wright was still playing for us. Uh, Ron Harper, but Ron Harper, you know, he he left to the Bulls right after us, and that was I think the last time we made the playoffs in the, in the '90s. It was like '94, '95. So that was kind of the transition over to the young Clippers, the really bad Clippers. <laughs> so that was kind of a marvelous memory, really. Was there a point in the season you were worried that they were going to miss the playoffs? I don't think so. I did think that we started off a little bit too slow. I, I, I think the bubble fatigue was still weighing on us. I felt like 
the loss against the Nuggets really shook us up. And in that drive to to be great from the beginning, I think that you could see the way the players would play. It was still very lethargic. It wasn't sharp. I wasn't concerned about making the playoffs. I knew it was a long season ahead of us. And I know with the talent that we had that we were going to get there. I think mostly what I was really concerned about was the seeding, where we're going to be you know, getting in there as a six or a seven. Really was also concerned about a load management. I, we've done a really good job of kind of doing that with Kawhi this year, trying to pick some spots here and there where you can get some rest. It was mostly if we can get everyone there healthy and clicking and churning at the right time. So it wasn't really ever a concern whether we were going to make it. It was just more like, how are we going to get there? And I think we're just hitting our stride now. Who in the Western Conference do you think the Clippers match up the best with? Oh, my. I would say in the first round, I would love I would love to face off against the Blazers. I think the Blazers out of, uh, I believe, them or the Lakers who are battling out to be a sixth seed right now, I would pick the Blazers. However, if there's any time to catch the Lakers in an off moment, it is now. Just based on the injuries that they've had, I think they, they have uh, also not found their rhythm. I think it would be perfect for us to meet now. And also, I think if we were to meet now, it, it would be at least nice because we've always wanted to see the Clippers and the Lakers face off. Of course, it would have been great if they would have faced off last year in the Western Conference Finals. That is what everyone is dreaming of, right, with a, with a shot to go to the finals. But I think the city, it would be great for the city if both teams could finally meet up in the playoffs. But I think the best matchup, if we were to remain in the third slot, it would probably be the Blazers to get through. Now, in terms of second round, I, I'm look, we're looking at the Suns at this point. I still think the Suns are a vulnerable two. I don't, I don't think they're a true two. So I, I like the way it's lining up for us, really, to get to the Western Conference Finals. Now, can we get there? That's the question because we've never done it. So um, we'll see. Who in the Western Conference worries you? I'm assuming that Utah is one of those teams. And is there anybody else if it is Utah? I think what the Clippers have struggled with has been a team that's been consistent and kind of grab your lunch pail and go to work type teams. We had struggles with the uh, Memphis Grit, the Grizzlies, right? Back in the in the 2011 to 2013 seasons, they, they just worked hard. Uh, we really struggled with the Spurs, another team that just went to work. Spurs gave everyone problems, though. And then this year, I think it's those type of teams that would once again give us a run for our money. I think the Utah Jazz or that team, you know, worker mentality. And believe it or not, I think the Nuggets still would pose a threat to us just because of Jokic. I think our, we, I don't know who would match up with him. I, I don't think Zubak has the ability to, to do that. You know, I think last year he just ate up Montrez Harrell. And, you know, Harold had a great season for us, but, you know, it, it just it kind of exposed that, you know, we, we couldn't match up with, with that guy. Obviously, they're missing Jamal Murray, which is a huge piece to, to their team. But I think those two teams, for me at least, would be the worst matchups, at least in the Western Conference. And, and obviously, if we, if we were to get to the finals, the Nets, I mean, on paper, they look uh, unstoppable, really. 
how important is it for Paul George to get off the schneid? I know a lot of people laid the blame of the playoffs at his feet, and then his comments about Doc Rivers sort of set people off to say, oh, it's the same old fraud George that showed up in the playoffs. Oh, geez. Yeah, I do remember that. It is big, and he's developed this reputation, sadly, in the last couple of, uh, of seasons, I think in the last four or five seasons. If we remember, he was great with the Pacers early on, right? He he led them to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals against the the Heat. I think he had a great series, right? His coming out series when he had played with uh with Hibbert at the time. I think they went to Game Seven. You know, they got blown out then, but you know, for him to lead the Pacers at that point was such a big deal, right? His coming out party. I think in recently in recent history, I think it's. It's kind of like building up the yips, right? When you make a throwing error, it starts getting into your head. Next thing you know, you make another error, right? And then you become Chuck Knobloch all of a sudden. So I think that's what it's, it's more mental than it is physical with Paul George. And, and you're right. We don't know what it's going to be like, right? When the bright lights are there and when he needs to produce for us. Um, it's massive. I think this is a make or break season for him it, to really kind of get rid of that reputation that he's built in the last four or five years you know a lot of people also forget though that this man broke his leg in half right (laughs) i think a lot of people also tend to forget that and when he came back it took him a while to finally get his legs under him Um, obviously that's been a long time from now but i think this is this is a a pivotal moment in his career and i hope that he performs Uh, i think he will i think what he's shown in the regular season this year has been mvp caliber like so I hope that it translates over to the postseason. So I'm really excited to see how, how he actually comes out and plays. Looking at the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals, who comes out of the Western Conference? Who comes out of the Eastern Conference? Who wins? And in how many games? Oh, boy. Boy. Well, I'm going to go with the easy one on the Eastern Conference. Like I said earlier, I think the Nets have too much firepower. And in the experience that all of those players have had, I don't think anyone will really come close to them. I think, uh, you know, maybe the Sixers will give a good run for their money, but not too much. I mean, you have, you know, Kyrie who's won a championship. You have KD who's won a championship. Obviously, Harden hasn't, but he's, he's as talented as any of those other guys, if not more. And then on the Western Conference side, now that is that is the big one, right? Obviously, we thought the Lakers were going to be a lot better. Obviously, the injuries were a major factor in them potentially being in the play-in tournament. And if the Lakers were, let's say, rolling at this time, I would probably say the Lakers just because of LeBron. LeBron's proven time and time again that he can produce and he can lead teams when it matters. And it's hard to bet against the man. But because of what they've been doing and how they've set themselves up to really face off a really difficult teams off the top of the jump, I really do think the Jazz are probably going to pull through, believe it or not. I think it's going to be a Jazz Clippers Western Conference final. And it's harder to go against my clips. And I'm not going to be a homer because, you know, I would obviously try to pick the clips. But there's something about, I can't explain it. There's something about pageantry or history on your side. And history always repeats itself, right? It's kind of like, you know, people blame the up and comers in European soccer like PSG that can't get through to the finals. And, you know, you look at their history. It's like, well, they don't have history, right? Just kind of like a an up and coming a baseball team and they go up against the Yankees and somehow the Yankees just somehow able to pull it off. I think that's something with the Clippers where we just miss that extra something. Uh, I don't know what it is. And for that reason, I until they prove me wrong, I can't bet with them. So I, I'm going to say the Jazz, you know, I would like to put the Suns up there. The only thing with the Suns is 
CP3 himself hasn't had a great postseason run, and he hasn't proven that he can get to get over the hump either. And uh, you know, he's a little bit older, and uh, and the Suns were awful last year, so I don't think most of them have that experience. So I, I would kind of bet against them. So I would say the Clippers and the Jazz in in the conference final, and I would probably pick the Jazz to, to get through. It's interesting. A lot of people have been picking the Clippers, Clippers, Nets, Clippers, Bucks, Clippers, Sixers, and things like that. Yep. And it's interesting. And like you said, I know you're a little apprehensive of going to pick the Clippers because of the curse. I have to ask you this. Do you feel like the curse has been lifted since Steve Ballmer bought the team? There's still a stigma there, I think. There's still a stigma there that hasn't really left, but he's done a wonderful job, man. The guy's passionate. And there's nothing more like seeing a passionate owner. Um, and that's what I really like about it. He's, he's out there. He's vocal. He, you can tell he cares not only about the team as, as, you know, how they produce on the, on the court, but as the players, as, as just people, I think he really does care. Uh, and you know, you, con- you know, you, you contrast that with Donald Sterling, which was possibly the worst sports owner of all time. I think. Those years are not that far behind us. And it's still some form of stigma there, I think, at least for some of the Clipper fans that I've talked to. We still talk about the V. Steviano days and, and how crazy that went down. And, you know, I think what Bomber has done has been nothing short of amazing. What he's going to do in the future with a new, possibly a new arena in Inglewood, uh, you know, a new area for, for the Clippers to shine. And he's promised to not move the team out. You know, a lot of people think he's going to move to Seattle because, you know, he's Microsoft and everything. I, I think his commitment to, to not only the team, but the community and the players has been the best I've seen personally. Wouldn't it be something if the Clippers end up playing a few games at the Forum and they're the world champs? Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something, right? Right? They had the Forum Club, too, and they roll out the old limousines to come through or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I uh, before we wrap this up, Sergio, do you have any shout-outs you want to give to or anything you want to promote? And do you have any social media that people can reach out to you to talk a little bit of sports, talk about Clippers and, and anything else LA-related? No, not really, man. I, I really don't. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a in in public. I'm I'm like Kawhi. I'm a very quiet man. But you know, I, I would like to give a shout out to Vinay Vinay uh, for linking this up, Earl. Uh, you know, he uh, told me all about what you've been doing. And you know, I, I follow it. I love what you're doing. And uh, you know, I'm always available to talk about sports. I love every type of sport. And go Clips, man. I hope this is the year. I hope this is really the year that gets us there. At least Western Conference Final. Um, I know that's a really small expectations for us, but I think this might be it. It's just maybe me being more wary of being a Clipper fan for so long that, you know, I just don't try to get my hopes that high. So we'll see. The Denver Nuggets, of course, a powerhouse in the Western Conference, especially had a magical run, went all the way to the Western Conference Finals last year, knocking off some big teams, including the Clippers. Here with me to talk about the Nuggets is Nuggets fan living in the East Coast, Tony Coliani. I really do appreciate it. Thank you and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm always down to discuss playoff basketball and talk about the Nuggets. The first thing I have to ask, especially being on the East Coast, what led to you becoming a Nuggets fan? So I get that a lot. I, everybody I talk to in the NBA, I get that a lot. I live in Philly. Um, I'm not a Philly fan. I'm a Nuggets fan. So I get that a lot. So originally I'm from Scranton. Scranton is like a big melting pot of sports teams. You have majority with Knicks fans. You have a lot with Sixers fans, Nets fans, 
Boston's not terribly far. DC's not terribly far. So I just loved basketball growing up. I didn't root for one team. I more so rooted for players and just root for good product. There was a name, a player by the name of Jerry McNamara to come out of Scranton. He went to Syracuse. His first year at Syracuse, they won the national championship in 2003. Carmelo Anthony was on that team. Melo got drafted to the Nuggets. I followed him to Denver. And then from then on, got a Nuggets fan. Even though he got traded to New York, I, I stayed with Nuggets, stayed with uh, my loyalty of Denver. What is your most memorable Nuggets moment? I know there's been a few, especially that run last year in the playoffs were, were pretty big. Yeah, you, you can't forget that run. I mean, yeah, it was in a bubble, but like what Murray did and mm-hmm. what that team did as a whole was is unbelievable. You can never forget that. But there's a few prior to last year that I'll never forget. First off, Melo getting drafted there. They started making their run. They progressively got better and better. Then they went all in, traded for Iverson. And I thought, okay, this could be it. They made a Western Conference final run then and then did a full rebuild. And when they did the rebuild, they ended up with a guy by the name of Nikola Jokic in the second round. My most memorable moment as a Nuggets fan is probably his 40-point game at the Garden. Not many players get 40 points. Not many players get 40 points at the Mecca. And for him to get that in his second year of in the league, being a second-round guy, nobody knew who he was. That's probably my, my favorite moment as a Nuggets fan. What's the most unique piece of Nuggets-related memorabilia or clothing that you have? So well, I, have a, I have a bunch of jerseys throughout the years. I have Jokic, Kenneth Freed, Manuel Moutier, Murray, Porter Jr. now. Kind of as guys passed on Moutier and Freed. I'm not wearing those jerseys so much anymore. So uh, my mom helped me out, and she made a few bandanas for my dog. So when playoff time comes around, when big games come around, my, my dog's wearing some Nuggets bandanas. So that's something that I'm, always makes me happy when I see. Expectations going into the season after going to the conference finals, and I know falling to the Lakers in the bubble, what were you hoping that the Nuggets could do? Was taking the next step to going to the NBA finals part of your plans? Obviously, yeah. Obviously, you want to see some growth of where you were last year. You never want to continue to do the same. You always want to chase that ring. But with this team being so young, a championship wasn't necessarily my goal. My goal was to progress the young guys, the young core, get them more experience and grow them together. We have three, four more years of the core and Murray, Jokic, and Porter Jr. all under their contracts. So I wanted them to get experience and just to compete. Was there a point where you were thinking, okay, there's no doubt that they're getting to the playoffs. There's nothing going to stop the Nuggets from returning to the postseason. Yes. I mean, we had a shady start. I mean, it was one in four. You you go on the internet and people start freaking out. And they do that with every sport, really. They start freaking out. They're like, one in four. The Nuggets aren't the same as what they were last year. But when you look at it, it was a short break from the bubble. They didn't have a lot of time to regroup. And they had a lot of guys leaving and a lot of new guys coming in. So I knew that they would rebuild, get the guys some playing time, get more experience together and rebound, and eventually make a playoff run. Were there concerns where you were thinking that not only could these guys possibly miss the playoffs, but even fall into the dreaded 7-10 to seeds where they would have to fight their way into the playoffs? To be honest, yes. And only because of how deep the West is. Like, you can go from a a two-week span where the three and four team are switched or the one and two team are switched or the five team is now the eight team. So I always did look at standings and make sure we're not close to the seven or eight seed. But at the same time, there was a little bit of concern, yes. Now that you guys are settled in, looking at all the matchups, 
who did you feel like the Nuggets matched up the best with in the conference? And do you feel like that you were able to get that matchup? So I think, and this goes back to like the model of what Coach Mike Malone has been teaching to the Nuggets since he's been there, is never be afraid of competition. So I don't think there's really anybody that they wanted to play or like, like oh, that's an easy team, let's play them in the playoffs. It was more so don't back down to competition and kind of compete. But me individually, I'm, I was kind of looking at the last week of the playoffs and see how they're shaking out. I was looking at Dallas because I think historically the last two, three years of our core versus Luka and their core, We've played them pretty well, and they haven't had an answer for Jokic. So I think that would be a, a matchup that we could capitalize on. Who's a team that, as a Nuggets fan, you were sort of concerned seeing in the playoffs and that could pose problems? It's got to be the defending champion Lakers. It's got to be. I mean, LeBron has been, last year, played out of his mind with the help of Anthony Davis, who's also top five player in the NBA when healthy. They're an unbelievable team, and you saw it last year in the playoffs of the run that they made, and you're going to see it again this year when they get healthy and start rolling. They're dominant four, so you never want to play them in the first round, and you, if you could hope to play them in the Western Conference Finals, that could be it, but it would be the Lakers. Looking at the injury to Jamal Murray, how devastating it was it to you as a fan? Do you feel like that really puts a blow to the Nuggets' playoff and finals aspirations? Not going to lie, early, it, it did suck. I mean, from what they did last year, you think they're going to just keep building off of that. And then they make the Aaron Gordon trade, really like rely on the defensive end, bring him in, help out offensively as well with some cutting to the basket and offensive rebounding. But that was a huge blow. And you could see that into the team and like how they just it deflated all the air out of them after that. But they did rebound a little bit. They've been playing some good basketball since he's been hurt, but it, it was definitely a huge blow, especially how he's played in the bubble last year. I mean, you're not winning three series like that or two series like that if he's not getting those 50-point games. And that was, that was just unbelievable. So it was definitely a huge blow. I, I believe he's going to be traveling with the team as well this this go-round. I believe that uh, That's correct. you feel yep. like that'll give that psychological boost that while he may not be physically on the court, he will be there. I think so. And so he got surgery in L.A. and he's been rehabbing in L.A. And the Nuggets' first time as a team when they saw him after the injury was the Clippers game. And you saw how well the Nuggets did in that Clippers game about two, three weeks ago. They, they played very well. Clippers were – this was the first time when Paul George and Leonard were on the court and they were fully healthy. But Nuggets just answered. Nuggets had an answer for everything that the Clippers threw at them, and Nuggets played very well and won the game. And you can see on the bench, everybody on the bench from the, the 12th man to all five starters were excited the entire game. And Jamal was – a leader of that. Looking at the NBA Finals matchup, who do you have coming out of the Western Conference? Who do you have coming out of the Eastern Conference? Who wins the Finals and in how many games? So the West, uh, like I said earlier, the West is so deep. Like I could, I could see a scenario in my head where there's, there's a couple teams winning it. But looking at the bracket, I like the Suns a lot. I think if the Suns can get by the Lakers in the first round matchup, I think the Suns could pull through. I also like the Jazz. I think if Mitchell can get back to what he was regular season, that team as a whole might be the best starting five in the West. They're a great team. And they've shown it last year as well. They were a missed shot on the three-point play to move into the second round. But they're a great team. I also like the Blazers. I think if not now, for the Blazers, when? I mean, this is probably the deepest they've been with the addition of Norman Powell and uh, Yusuf Nurkic back. They're also a very good team. But that being said, like I said earlier, you can't rule out the Lakers just yet. I have to see how LeBron and AD are 
in a playoff series, and if they're fully healthy, then then Lakers will be my pick. Coming out of the East, um, even though I live here, I'm going to say Philly, and that's non-biased. I think what Joel Embiid has done, he's just been that dominant force in the basketball court down, down low, hitting three-point shots at a historic three-percentage rate for a big man. Ben Simmons' defensive play has been phenomenal. If he doesn't win defensive player of the year, he'll be second in the running. I think them as a team are probably the most dominant team in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to say the Sixers in seven. The Sixers, when they win, it's never easy. And any Sixers fan will tell you that. It is never easy when they win. So I think it's going to go seven. And the Suns, I think it's going to be Chris Paul's time to make a run. Like Chris Paul's not going to retire without making an NBA championship finals. So I think it's going to be Suns, Sixers, Sixers, and seven. One thing I wanted to throw in there, among the talks for MVP, Jokic, Embiid, and Curry, who do you think comes out winning the MVP? I think it's going to be Jokic. For him to play all 72 games this year and really have zero dud games. Um, I was looking at the stats earlier. His worst game was a loss in which he had 17 points, six rebounds, five assists. And any other play in the NBA, that's starting roster spot in any team in the NBA. And that's his worst game. He's been just so consistent. And what he did, even without the Jamal Murray injury, they've had the best record since March 1st in the NBA. I think it's just phenomenal. And it, it just speaks to how good of a player he is. I think he deserves the MVP. Before we uh, wrap this up, wanted to know if you had any shout outs to anybody or anything you wanted to promote since you have the opportunity. I don't. If I could say one shout out, it would be on my Instagram and Twitter coming next week. There's a memorial golf tournament called the Sunnyside Invitational taking place in Myrtle Beach, Carolina. If anyone wants to follow around on that, post some images of beautiful golf courses in Myrtle Beach. And on Twitter, I'll uh, give a little review about the course as well if anyone loves golf. But uh, that's really it, Earl. How can people reach out to you to talk a little bit of Nuggets basketball? You can reach me on Twitter at Tony the Tiger or at on my Instagram at Tony Coliani. And um, I'll be happy to discuss Nuggets basketball any day of the week. The Phoenix Suns punched their ticket back into the NBA playoffs after a long absence. And here to talk about the Suns and their return to the playoffs is Anthony Bartholomew. Thank you, Anthony, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I know you have to be excited, especially with the Suns making their return to the postseason. Yeah, first off, thank you for having me. But yeah, I'm really excited, man. It's been too long. What led to you becoming a fan of the Suns and how long have you been a fan? Just being the home team, but um, I went with my dad one time and just fell in love with it, fell in love with the game, and it was the 08 season, 09 season. What was it that was so exciting about those Suns teams? Um, well, they had Shaq at the time, so that first game I went to was against Memphis, and um, it was when he cleared the bench. He was about to dive into the crowd and everything, so I just I loved that whole thing. And I mean, they were destroying the Grizzlies at the time by like 50. So I was like, oh yeah, this is the team. Is there a very memorable moment as a Suns fan that sticks out to you? Uh, if it's that Shaq one or the um, time Stoudemire posterized Anthony Tolliver that I hadn't been hyped for a play in a while like that. Yeah, and I think Amari Stoudemire, I think yeah, he's one of that generation of, of Suns all-stars. I always think of, of course, Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson, um, of course, Steve Nash and the array of guys that were there. But, I mean, I know Amari Stoudemire, you can't think of the long line of Phoenix Suns players without putting his name up there in the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably our guy when it goes down to everything. 
Coming into the season, what were the expectations for the Suns? What were you expecting? I know Chris Paul coming there and feel like sometimes he can be a bit of a kingmaker, especially looking at how he turned around the Clippers and really gave the Thunder some life after being swapped from Houston. But what were you thinking that uh, Chris Paul could do for the Suns? And what did you think about the Suns' chances for playoffs in general? Just after the bubble, obviously, we did so well. I, I expected playoffs, but when we got Chris Paul, I thought contenders. I actually had a tweeted... um if I can read that real quick, if that's fine. Oh, yeah. So I tweeted out top four seed, top five defense, top three offense, Western Conference Finals is what I had it says. And a player of that caliber really can do a lot. Yeah, it's insane. What is the most unique piece of memorabilia, Suns-related memorabilia or clothing item that you have? I don't know anything unique. I was trying to think of it, and I, I can't think of anything unique. I just have a few autographs, maybe Morris Twins signed hat. I know there's a hate relationship with them, so I guess that could be unique, but nothing really like out of the ordinary. What is that relationship with the Morris twins? I can only, what is it that fans, what makes it so acrimonious between the Morris's and Suns fans? I personally don't have a problem with one of them. I, I think it was just like their legal issues that they had. They were fighting people apparently, and then just us being kind of a disappointment in one of the years. Just didn't work. And then Markeith choking out one of our players on the bench when he was with us. So that kind of uh, turned me off to him. But I like Marcus. That's probably not a very popular opinion, but I love Marcus. Was there a point that you were extremely confident they were making the playoffs? And I know you ran down really pretty much the laundry list of things that you felt the Suns were going to do with Chris Paul. But what 100% gave you that confidence that, okay, they're making the playoffs? Beating the playoff teams, honestly. No, I think we have one win against Denver, sweeping the Jazz. I mean, it's everything. Just their defense. We haven't seen defense like that probably in a long time. Was there a point that you were concerned that they weren't going to make the playoffs? I know, especially now with the play-in and the playoffs expanding to 10 teams per conference, uh, were you concerned that they, they could easily miss out? Um, Not really, but there was a little bit of a scare of getting like a lower seed at the beginning of the season when they hit 8-8. Eight and eight. But other than that, I mean, I pretty much knew they were going to make the playoffs. Looking in the Western Conference playoffs, who do you feel the Suns match up the best with? Best? Probably the Nuggets or the um, Mavericks. What is it that you feel like makes them a better fit to take on those teams like Denver and Dallas? As far as Denver, I mean, fortunately, they lost Murray. So I think that gives us a slight upper hand with them. And the games have always been close between those two teams as well. Always fun to watch. And we've come out on top for the most part against those teams. So pretty confident. Who are the teams in the West that scare you? I know that the first thing that everybody's going to say is probably maybe maybe the Lakers. I assume that's yeah. going to be a team. And then just looking at the standings, I know that other teams that might play a little bit of a uh, concern for everybody might be. Uh, well, I assume the Clippers might might be something that gives everybody a scare as well, but you never know, especially seeing how last year they didn't fare so well when they had the opportunity to put teams away. Yeah, honestly, those are the two teams that I'm afraid of, but Lakers aren't looking so hot right now. So what about the Jazz? You guys are tied with the Jazz as of May 3rd, tied for really first and ahead yeah. by uh, conference wins, but do the Jazz concern you at all? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they're a solid team too. I, I mean, they didn't have Mitchell in the last uh, meeting against them, and... We blew them out. So, yeah, that's probably another team that I would say we match up pretty well against. 
I know everybody's been talking about Chris Paul. Who else has been a factor on on the Suns that have really played a role in their success? The man, Devin Booker. He just won a player of the week, actually. So, yeah, that man, he's been cold. People have been sleeping. What is it that he does so well? Uh, Just like Chris Paul, he gets to his spots. That mid-range is insane. It's Kobe-esque. What is it that the Suns do so well? And I know you mentioned getting to their spots and making their shots, but what else do you feel like this team does well? Um, They have really good chemistry. So on defense, they're just able to lock people up. Obviously, they have their off nights, but who doesn't? But yeah, just their their effort, especially getting Torrey Craig. Man, they look good. How key was it to have a coach like Monty Williams? I know that he had to deal with some personal he, – he didn't have the luck that he should have had in, in New Orleans and things like that, but seeing him be able to get that opportunity again to coach, how much of a difference maker is a coach like Monty Williams? Uh, it's huge. It's been huge. He's He's just instilled this family – culture so it just brings everyone together and everyone's on the same page he preaches ball movement i think he was an assistant with uh popovich so that helps a lot and i feel like especially it seems like the way things have been going in new orleans it's like sometimes one team's losses another team's gain and the suns have really benefited from it yeah definitely looking at the nba finals prediction who do you have coming out of the eastern conference who do you have coming out of the western conference who wins the finals and in how many games Obviously, Suns for the West. Uh, their play the last couple weeks has got me changing from Western Conference to the actual finals. But East, probably Milwaukee. But I feel like that one's just open-ended on these. There's just like three or four like real solid teams, and I could see it going either way. Do you feel like there's too much hype for Brooklyn right now, or do you, do you feel like they've earned that height and, and recognition? I mean, we haven't seen the three really play together, so I'm going to say hype, but I know that's not very popular. One pretty much has them as the favorites. Yeah, and I always think that sometimes the talent, can the talent overcome the drama that comes with those players, especially how Harden found his way out of Houston and then everything with Durant and just sort of the injuries and then Kyrie taking time off for extended periods for a while. They may be important personal reasons, but you got to worry that what happens when they finally come together, will it, will it be one of those things or will it be like that one Lakers team with Shaq, Kobe, Carl Malone, and Gary Payton or that one Lakers team with Kobe, Paul Gasol, Steve Nash, and Dwight Howard? It could implode easily just as well as it could succeed. Um. I mean, they could probably do some damage next season. I think just like you're saying, the Durant injuries, it it just makes it interesting. Kyrie, and then I think Harden's fine. I mean, he led his team for years. I know you have Suns and Bucks. Who do you think comes out of winning the finals and in how many games? Uh, I'd say six or seven Suns. What what do you feel makes us so confident that Suns pull it out in in an extended series? Uh, I mean... I know the regular season's different from the playoffs and everything, but I mean, we won the two matchups and they were both really close games and just really exciting. So honestly, I could see it going either way, but just being a Suns fan, I'm, I'm going to say us. And Anthony, I really appreciate you uh, taking your time out of the busy schedule to do it, especially with the time difference and things like that. Anybody you want to give shout outs to anything you want to promote? Uh, not really. Uh, just thank you for having me. Um, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at the bleached max. And that's about it. The Jazz are one of the best teams in the Western Conference and the NBA. And, of course, they're duking it out with the Phoenix Suns for that top spot as well. 
here with me to talk about the jazz is longtime jazz fan David Krause. How are you doing, David? Hey, I'm good, Earl. How about you? I'm doing absolutely great. Uh, a lot of you guys may have seen David when he was here for our NFL playoff previews and talking about the Vikings. And it's interesting. How are you a Minnesota Vikings fan and a Utah Jazz fan? I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the mix and blend of teams. <laughs> That's a good question. So I live in Pittsburgh here, born and raised, and my mom raised me. She was never really into sports. And the first real football game I watched was the Steelers-Cowboys Super Bowl, and I think it was January of 96. And I just remember Neil O'Donnell throwing a ton of interceptions and Dallas just, you know, scoring point after point. I, I'm, I just said to myself as a, an 11-year-old boy, this team sucks. Why should I cheer for them? So then I decided to just kind of watch football casually. And as far as Minnesota, they were on TV, I think on, on a Thanksgiving. And uh, I really got hooked uh, by Randall Cunningham. And I really liked the way that he played the game. He scrambled a little bit. He had a big arm. He seemed like a nice guy. And then, uh, you know, I also drew interest from their uniforms, uh, the purple. And uh, then I think a year or two later, they drafted Randy Moss. And that kind of just cinched it for me. And then uh, as far as Utah goes, you know, so obviously Pittsburgh doesn't have a basketball team. But if they did, it's tough to say whether I'd be a fan or not. But back in the 90s, you know, basketball was my first love as far as sports and watching on TV. And it seems like, you know, back in the mid-90s, the same three or four teams would be on TV regularly. They would have uh, the Bulls on, I think, WGN, who had their own network. And then there was Channel 11, which all frequently showed Utah, the Seattle Supersonics, and the Houston Rockets. I think Golden State was on there a little bit back in the, uh, you know, the Hardaway Mall in Richmond days. And you know, I was always a big Jordan fan, but I didn't like the rest of the Bulls. So I saw the Jazz play, and I saw their fiery coach, Jerry Sloan, on the sidelines getting everyone pumped up. And, you know, I, I really liked the pick-and-roll game of Stockton and Malone, and they seemed like they played the game the right way. You know, Stockton was a legitimate point guard. They both played defense. You had to literally, unless they were suspended or had broken bones, they weren't missing any games unlike today's players in today's NBA. So I just kind of stuck with them, and they've always been kind of a solid team throughout the years. You know, they were never really a bottom feeder, but back in contention this year. So that's a long answer to your question. But, uh, yeah, so I just, rather than switching teams, which would have been easy to do with uh, both the Vikings and the Jazz, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to stick with these teams and continue to root for them, whether they're good or bad. I was also curious. I know with Pittsburgh not having an NBA team, by vicinity, who's the closest? Is it the Sixers? Is it the Cavs? Is it Washington or somebody else? Uh, yeah, I'm probably could be the Wizards, but I'm going to go ahead and say it was the Cavaliers. Um, I've actually been to a preseason Cavaliers game when they played the Spurs. You know, obviously, Duncan and LeBron didn't play, but it was still cool to be in an NBA arena. And that was, uh, I think the drive was just under four hours. So I'm pretty sure that that's a little bit closer than getting into D.C., but yeah, Philly for me is probably about a nine-hour drive, so that's a little mm. farther out. Yeah, that's why I was always curious of proximity. I'm like, I know there's no, nothing in Cincinnati. There's nothing West Virginia, nothing Kentucky-wise. I mean, if it was ABA days, there'd be every other city that didn't have a team would have one. Pittsburgh, Kentucky, <laughs> Cincinnati, St. Louis, everybody under the sun would have a team in the ABA days. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, I, I don't know. People seem to think that Pittsburgh wouldn't do well with basketball because they're a hockey town or a football town. but 
Uh, I'm not sure. I, I think we, you know, I mean, I would definitely go to games, and but it's hard to tell. You know, it seems like just basketball in general is kind of fading off, and uh, more people are into hockey, and I don't know. Yeah, I was definitely curious about that. Just by that, I was always wondering who do Pittsburgh fans cheer for? But I'm glad you were able to break that down. One of the things I wanted to ask you about being a Jazz fan, what is your most memorable moment as a Jazz fan? So in terms of games, I probably have to go with the 1997 Western Conference Finals Game 6 against the Rockets, in which it was tied at 100, and John Stockton, who scored the last two buckets for Utah, he gets the ball uh, off a timeout. There's about six seconds left. He takes a dribble. Charles Barkley for Houston's charging at him. He pulls up from... uh, the top of the key there, three-pointer, swish, nothing but net, like point two, or it might have been an end of regulation, but that that sealed the deal for Utah, sent them to their first-ever finals, and just that shot, that moment kind of sticks with me because of, for starters, that game, Utah was down double digits most of the game, and the last, uh, I think they were down 10, they were down 10 or 12 points with just under two and a half minutes to play. And I want to say they went on like a like a seventeen to two run to close the distance, and then and then like I said, Stockton hits that three. He does a leap, punches his fist in the air. Malone greets him, horn a check, and the rest of the teammates kind of swarm him. And obviously, they ended up meeting Jordan and the Bulls in the finals. But uh, it was a good finals, and and yeah, that's probably the most memorable that kind of sticks in my head. I can think about the Greg Gumbel call when he makes that shot. He said John Stockton sends the Utah Jazz to the NBA Finals. And I'm thinking, man, that was iconic. That is probably the most iconic jazz play. And I I, I think about that one. And, and like I said before, I, all I do is hear Greg Gumbel's voice making the call on that play. I love Greg Gumbel. Going into the season, what were your expectations? I know the West always seems to be loaded, and it has been basically for the past 25 years. But going in, what were you expecting the Jazz to do? So I expected them to finish within the top five as far as records in the West. They were solid last year. They were up 3-1 on Denver and should have probably won that series, obviously. They did not have Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is their second-best scorer and probably best perimeter defender on the team. And he was not available last year in the playoffs. Um, they have him this year, and with Mitchell out, you know he's kind of been consistent all year. I don't think he's missed a game this year, to be honest with you. And yeah, I just think that I had expectations, but I didn't really see them, you know, as a top seed or you know into the finals. But I definitely thought they would be right around where they were, if not a little bit better than where they were last year with Bogdanovich and the core roster that they had returning. What is the most unique? piece of team-related memorabilia that you have? You know, that's interesting because with with football and baseball, I have some nice keepsakes, but with basketball and the the limited space I have in my apartment, I I wouldn't say I have a bunch of unique things. I have some nice sweatshirts and some nice uh, jerseys, some old-school jerseys. I have like three different Darren Williams jerseys, and uh, I have a ton of Darren Williams and John Stockton basketball cards but uh that would probably be it as far as memorabilia like i said i just there, there's some pieces that i want but i unfortunately just don't have the room here to store anything major 
was there a point during the season you knew that the Jazz were set to go make the playoffs? Yeah, probably pretty early. Like they've been in first place basically all year. And I think with the exception of Phoenix overtaking them for a half a game for one day, they've been in first all the way through, you know, since the season started. And I thought, you know, okay, well, they're going to definitely make the playoffs. And it's just a matter of what their seeding is and who they match up with. But probably a month into the season, I mean, unless they started the season 0-20, I knew that they would, you know, easily make the playoffs. And see, in that case, there was no doubt at all that, that they were going to miss the playoffs. There was no concern they were going to miss. Not at all. I mean, if they were, I will tell you, like when Mitchell went down a little bit over a month ago, if they were in maybe the seventh seed at that time, my answer for you would be differently. But they really haven't missed too much with him, with Clarkson stepping up. And and like I said, Bogdanovich kind of, you know, up in his game offensively to pick up the scoring slack for Mitchell not being there. So, uh, yeah, the fact that they're still in first place, even with Conley, you know, being in and out of the lineup with his hamstring, and he's elevated his play this year as well. So the fact that they're still in first place with those injuries is kind of remarkable. Who do you think the Jazz match up the best with in the Western Conference? Well, that's a good question. I think they match up well with just about anybody, but I like their odds if they get Portland. I like their odds if they get Dallas. I like their odds if Golden State were to somehow make a surge. Honestly, even Denver at this point. I know Jamal Murray's been a Utah killer in the past, especially in the postseason. But with him being out this year, if we ended up getting Denver, I'd be very confident with that matchup, especially if Mitchell's back. I mean, obviously the Joker's going to get his, but you know, I don't think that they have the overall team without Murray to compete with the Utah. So, yeah, I'd be very comfortable. Phoenix has seemed like they had our number – for the most part this year, but I even be comfortable with them. Looking at some of the teams you didn't mention, who worries you in the Western Conference? And I'm assuming the Lakers are, are and the Clippers are at the top of that list. They're definitely at the top. Um, although I, w- with the Lakers, I think they're in the the currently in the seventh seed. I'm not sure, like if that stands, and they end up getting like a Golden State in a one game series. I, you know, I would not want to play Steph Curry in a one game series to advance and I'm not certain LeBron or AD are going to be anywhere close to healthy, but if they are, and if they were, then yeah, definitely they present problems for everybody, including Utah for sure. But I just think LA has a, you know, a couple beasts on their team that are, you know, excellent one-on-one players and they would be a tough, tough out for Utah. Looking at Quinn Snyder making the move from coaching college to the NBA, when you heard of the hire a few years back, did you think he was going to be legit? I know he had a lot of baggage with him, especially his time at Missouri. But to you, did you think he would be able to make that transition so seamlessly? You know what? I didn't. I didn't. To be honest, I didn't even know a whole lot about him at the time. And I thought a couple of years ago, I, I actually thought that maybe it was time to move on from him, that he was getting out coached by, you know, coaches like Terry Stotts and, Malone over in Denver that he was just getting out coached in big moments but uh the, the way that he's handled the team under the pressure this year and like I said maintaining that first place has been very impressive but no I, I didn't think he would not only you know do well but to hold up this long 
I think he's been in Utah. Oh, it's got to be almost 10 years at this point. So, yeah, he's been very impressive. How far can the Jazz go with a healthy Donovan Mitchell? I think if everyone is healthy, they have the ability to get to the finals. And that's assuming, like, ideally they would want, you know, you would want L.A. to play L.A. at some point. One of them knock each other off. And then Utah match up with, you know, who the other team is. And, yeah, I think with Bogdanovich getting this extra offensive play, Clarkson, if if Conley's healthy, if Mitchell's healthy, obviously Gobert, the monster in the middle. O'Neal's a good defender. He's up to his game this year a little bit on both ends of the court. They play the game the right way. You know, they shoot the three ball. They defend. They hustle. They slash. They get to the free throw line. And like you said earlier, they're well coached. So there's no reason for me to believe that if they're on and they play to their maximum capabilities, they can go to the finals. They're not going to beat LA 4-0 or they're not going to, I mean, it's going to be a grueling series, whether it's six or seven games. But yeah, I definitely think they can get there. Do I personally think they will? No. But to answer your question, they can certainly get there. They have the ability. NBA Finals prediction. Who do you have coming out of the West? Who do you have coming out of the East? Who wins it all? And in how many games? I'm going to go with the Clippers matching up against the Nets. And I say that because I feel like the Nets knew all along that they were going to be set up for a long playoff run. And I think the really only true challenge might be the Bucks. I don't have faith in Philly enough just yet. They haven't proven anything to me. And I don't think any other team's really deep enough other than maybe Milwaukee. But Milwaukee just relies on Giannis too much. So starting with the Nets, I just think that big three, even if, you know, assuming they're even 80% healthy, which I think everyone is healthy at this point. um, Harden might not be 100%, but, you know, he's still working his way back. But even if, let's say, Harden and Kyrie go two for 30, Durant's going to knock you with 45 and 10. And then, you know, you got Joe Harris, you got, you you know, you got some knockdown shooters. Blake Griffin's up this game. It was a nice acquisition for them. DeAndre Jordan, you know. um, So their their defense might concern you a little bit, but they're going to score 130, 140 easily every night. So I just don't think that there's any team out there that can consistently beat them, especially when you get into a deep seven-game playoff series. So that's why I shoot them in there. And then as far as the West – I think the way that I've watched the Clippers this year, especially with Paul George, I feel like Paul George has upped his game. He reminds me of prime Indiana Pacer Paul George before he got injured. He's slashing. He's defending. He's dunking on people. He's shooting threes. And he's not playing a ton of minutes either. They're not playing him a lot of minutes over there. Tyron Lue's not. So, the fact that, you know, you got him coming back after a, a bust of a 2020, not 2019-2020 season, and you got Kawhi, who's now healthy. He's had his rest days. I really like the acquisition of Rondo, and Rondo in the playoffs is a real problem, as he proved last year with the Lakers. So I just like that combination. I like Zubach. You know, Reggie Jackson will be fine off the bench. Kennard was a good pickup. So I think if they're healthy, and they'll probably be more healthy than the Lakers at this point, and they're they're in a better position standing-wise, I think they'll be able to get into the finals. So with that said, I have 
and and this is kind of painful to say because I'm not a big fan of the you know superstars teaming up, but I I actually think that the Nets will will be the champions, and they will win in six games over the Clippers. It'll definitely be a shootout series, and yeah, I just think that the uh, Clippers have two superstars, Nets have three, plus you know plus role players that are deadly shooters. So I think that they know that they disappointed last year, and they underachieved. So bringing in Rondo and, you know, assuming Beverly's healthy, you know, you have some ball handlers and, you know, they can match up with basically any team. And the unfortunate thing about the Nets would be if they win, it just encourages more bad behavior and everybody starting to load up even more. It was bad enough with Miami and now it's just going to be a continual thing. Who knows until that plan stops working, but that seems how it's going to be. David, I really do appreciate you taking your time out of the busy schedule to do this. Before we wrap this up, do you have any shout outs you want to give to anybody? Anything you want to promote or if you have any ways people can reach out to you on social media? Thanks for having me. I appreciate this and this was fun. And yeah, I'm uh, my uh, I'm on Instagram as Krause Daddy and I'm also on Facebook just as David Krause. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll connect or talk sports with anyone. Talking about the Charlotte Hornets is Patrick Champion. Thank you so much for being on the show, Patrick. No problem. I know it's a little bit weird to hear Charlotte Hornets and playoffs in the same conversation, but uh, hopefully we can get used to it for a little while. Yeah, growing up, Charlotte Hornets in the playoffs felt weird without them in the playoffs. I always think about the days of Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, Muggsy Bogues, uh, Del Curry, and all those things. And it's so it's so interesting, especially this being like I might as well say the second coming of the Hornets, especially with the departure and the and the Bobcats coming in and things like that. So that's why it's so similar it just feels like it's normal for me i get that i guess i was always a little worried with the recently i've been a little worried about the departure of the sonics that they were going to take our team away but now hopefully we've got enough media attention with and um hopefully we can keep us for a little while and hopefully get some playoff noise in how long have you been a fan of the Hornets? I am assuming back uh, when it was announced that uh, basketball was returning to Charlotte, that, that was the start, or was it earlier than that? I'd say since I was maybe six years old, there is a, an ancient relic somewhere, a photograph of me and my one of my childhood friends at a Bobcats game. Were you always a diehard basketball fan, especially growing up, or...? Well, I grew up on college sports first, and since I'm a UNC fan, the basketball basketball sort of our thing. So um, I'd say that sort of love for basketball college-wise transitioned into a love for basketball professional-wise. And since I grew up in Charlotte, I grew up Hornets fan. What is your biggest Charlotte Hornets memory? I'd actually have to go with the recent one for that. There was the... Um, Jeremy Lamb half-court buzzer beater against the Raptors. That was, I believe, last year. It was one of those same Hornets years where you're basically out of the playoff run, but if you win like 10 straight games, you're back in it. So, spoiler alert, we didn't make the playoffs, but um, I was really just sort of stunning. Like, oh my God, he just made a half-court buzzer beater to win the game, down two. And that was just a distinct memory I remember from watching Hornets games. What were expectations coming into the season? You mentioned uh, LaMelo Ball being selected. What were you expecting the Hornets to do? Were the playoffs even any thought in your mind? Well, I feel like a lot of the experts and a lot of the NBA people were talking about maybe 
the Hornets being one of those, like, their ceiling was like one of those new play-in spots, like a 10th seed or a 9th seed. And I mostly bought into that because, like, surely LaMelo Ball can't affect winning that much. And surprise, surprise, they were fighting for, like, the 6th, 5th seed, 7th seed towards the beginning of the season. And then that race has basically stayed the same. But with some recent injuries, we have fallen to about eight or nine, which is what I expected us to be. My hope is that we can just keep that up in the next season's our next season's our year. What is the most unique piece of team-related memorabilia that you have? I know that you mentioned a little earlier about something that you did have from the original Hornets. Well, yeah, I mentioned the uh, the Kelly Trapuka bobblehead. Maybe he's a little off the side in terms of Del Curry, Larry Johnson. Muggsy Bogues, he's not as mentioned as much. I'm currently wearing my Hornets pullover, but since I moved to South Carolina, I haven't been able to go to many Hornets games. I've had to watch on TV or sometimes listen on the radio. Shout out Sam Farber, best radio announcer there is. But um, he, but I have this pullover I mentioned and then the bobblehead. Was there a point this season that you felt confident the Hornets were going to be in the playoffs? I'd say it was really... Um, Two points, probably, when Coach Brega first put Ball into the starting lineup after much clamoring from the outside fans and a point where basically all of our players were injured, but we were still squeaking out games at the end. I'd say that I feel like LaMelo Ball really just boosted up into that rookie of the year conversation going in the starting lineup. And even though we were about 500, that's still good enough to make the playoffs in the East. So I felt really good about that. And then um, at one point, we were 27 and 24. And that also felt, okay, well, if if we're this good with all of our people injured and we have a relatively manageable schedule for the rest of the way, we should be able to make it into a little bit of playoffs easily. Now I don't feel so sure, but like I said with the play-in, I feel like if you count that as playoffs, then we're pretty good there. Was there a point you felt that, okay, this is too good to be true and that – we're not making the playoffs. I'd say like the game after the LaMelo ball injury, because he was good at points. He scored some points. He had rebounds for a pretty good amount for a point guard. And then he also was really good with assists. So he was playmaking, which is really important for an NBA team to have. So I'd say right after he went down, I was like, Oh no, we're done. We can basically just tank for the next top five pick. And then, um, Recently, I felt a little bit of doubt, but not enough to really sidetrack my play-in prediction because we're we've lost about four games in a row, and we've scored about twenty points per game in all those games as a team. So, looking at the playoff matchups, you guys make it in the playoffs and and make it to the play-in and make it to those top eight seeds. Who's the team that you feel like you match up the best with in the Eastern Conference playoffs? I'd say probably with. Assuming all of the players on the injury report right now can come back for the playoffs, I know that Hayward probably will and Ball probably will. I'd say we have enough offensive firepower to go with the Hawks. Assuming the Pacers make it in and we don't play them in the play-in, I feel pretty good about that too, only because they're a similar talent level. And um, honestly... That's because they're about the only two teams I feel like we have a good chance of beating. I know that's a little negative, but... Now, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, it, it's better to know your limitations and start thinking uh, that 
that all of a sudden, oh, yeah, we can take down the Nets. Speaking of teams that you might be a little hesitant to want to face in the Eastern Conference playoffs, who's the team or, or teams that worry you the most if the Hornets ended up matching up with them? Well, I mean, I feel like you just said it, the Nets. We played them last night, and we hung with them for three quarters, but we got beat pretty soundly. We gave up 130 points, which sounds like a lot, but when it's with the Nets, it's pretty much in line with what they've been doing on offense all season. I feel like if they were completely healthy, we would really have a chance. I know we beat them once for the season, but I feel like that was sort of more inspired play, more healthy play. So I'd say Nets. I'd say probably the Celtics. It feels like they're heating up. I'd say just any within the top four seeds, whatever those turn out to be, I don't know how. I don't know if I like our chances. I know that the Michael Jordan tenure as the owner of the Bobcats slash Hornets has sort of been one where they just sort of thought it's another example of somebody who doesn't know how to run a team. And it looks like they're finally on the right path. Do you feel like a potential deep run could eventually, I guess, vindicate Michael Jordan, uh, which it's hard to believe that anybody has to say Michael Jordan has to be vindicated, but as an owner, he would be vindicated because it seems like as a player, he's one of the greatest players of all time. I feel like, yeah, I agree with you in the terms of like, maybe he's, I don't know if he's been the worst owner ever. I mean, he hasn't had any scandals or anything like that, which seems to be kind of common among owners in this day and age. But um, I feel like the general consensus is that he was a better player than he was an owner, which is obviously not unfounded. I think that a championship, while unlikely, I think it could happen this decade. But um, I think that if he's able to show off his draft savvy with ball and giving the Hornets the okay to draft him, as well as his roster management, which is sort of been an issue in the past if that Hayward contract turns out to be worth its money. I agree. I think that would vindicate him. Uh, Speaking of Gordon Hayward, uh, when you heard that he was signing with the Hornets, what were your thoughts on that? And did you think, okay, it's just another Celtics cast off coming to the Hornets? Were you excited about that? Well, I have a pretty close friend who's a Celtics fan, and he didn't feel too sorry about the loss, which worried me a little bit. Because I was like, okay, if we paid $30 million for this guy, I feel like he should be at least a tug at the heartstrings a little bit of my Celtics friend. But I'd say I was happy with the signing until he got injured. Not because, obviously, oh, you get injured, you're not worth anything. But I'm hoping that's not a sign of things to come. So I was just really excited about him being healthy until he wasn't. So hopefully he can bring it back. And hopefully by the end of his age 34 season, he's not just completely washed and not worth half his contract looking at the predictions for the nba finals who do you have coming out of the eastern conference who do you have coming out of the western conference and who do you have winning the nba finals and in how many games i'm going really against the grain here nets and lakers i mean it sounds like it sounds pretty obvious but it's one of those things where i feel like the most obvious answer is the most obvious answer for a reason um I am in love with the Nets' firepower they have on offense, and I feel like their suspect defense isn't really a problem because, I mean, to win a game of basketball, you have to score more points than the other team. and They've proven to do that pretty well, and I think if Harden, Kyrie, and KD are all healthy, then that's a pretty scary sight. And then in the West, it's basically the same thing with the Lakers. 
I know that LeBron is out, I believe still out. And then AD is a great center and they did it before and they got challenged a little bit by a pretty upstart Heat team, but I feel like they're still going to make it to the finals again this year. But um, in terms of winning the finals, I think that's going to be a lot harder. I think the Nets take this one in six games because I feel like they might have two nights where they're just cold on offense or their defense just gets too overwhelmed. But I think overall the offense is just too point scoring. Do you feel, especially now, it seems like all these teams sort of accumulating talent, not like the old-fashioned way, like through the draft, but through you know forming super teams and things like that. Do you feel like that's uh, going to be the trend when it comes to the NBA, or do you think that this is going to be just a, a passing fad? Well, I mean, I feel like it's working. That's the problem with um, if you wanted it to be back through the draft, you wanted it to be the old-fashioned way. I think the problem with that is that free agency is a lot more guaranteed to work because, I mean, look at the Lakers last year. LeBron's a free agent signing. AD's a free agent signing. Or maybe it was a trade, but um, it wasn't the draft. <laughs> So I think that if you're able to nab a few really good players from small market teams like Charlotte, then um, that's a really good way to go about things so far. If it proves to not work, I'm sure GMs will switch back to the draft. But I feel like for as long as it will work, then it's going to be the way of the future. Yeah, which I think, you know, the old fashioned way, like, I mean, I guess the way the Celtics did it, that's a different story. They just, they had assets, they traded, and they built a team that way. It's not like people had a choice to really come along. It's like these assets were good enough for these other teams, the Timberwolves and the Sonics, to trade, and then that's how they built their team. Of course, those were a lot more aged players, but, you know, if you could build a core where they're pretty much young guys and you don't have to do it through basically everybody sort of trying to say, hey, come on, join my team, it's a completely different thing. Yeah, I think as long as that salary cap keeps going up, then teams will have more money to sign more players on more max deals. So, and I mean, I don't even know if it has to be young players because I think as long as it's, I think even if it's older players on short-term deals like Kevin Durant and Kyrie, I think he's his contract's expiring within the next three or two years, that you can do it, but I don't know if it's good enough to build a dynasty. Oh, Patrick, I really do appreciate it. Before we let you go, what are ways people can reach out to you? Do you have any particular shout outs? Uh, if people want to talk Hornets or or any type of basketball or, or Carolina sports with you? Well, I have a Twitter account. It's at Patrick C-P-T-S-T and all lowercase except for the P-T-S-T. And that stands for Primetime Sports Talk. That's where I write. They cover all the bases. We got... MLB, NBA, NHL, NFL. We even have a guy that writes racing. So I think that y'all should check them out. And then I just listed the Twitter. I also have an Instagram with the same name. And um, I don't think I have any other shout-outs, personal shout-outs to make. The Washington Wizards got hot at the end of the season and when it looked like they were pretty much left for dead in the Eastern Conference. And now they are fighting for their playoff lives as they play for that final seed in the Eastern Conference. Right here with me to talk about the Wizards is Wizards fan Colby Price really coming in clutch and talking about the Wizards. 
how did you become a fan of the Wizards, especially when it's so easy for everybody in the area of the Eastern Shore to be bandwagoners? Yeah, I'm a local fan. I like all the Baltimore sports team, Ravens, Orioles. And then when it comes to hockey and basketball, I chose D.C. So as a young kid, grew up Gilbert Arenas, Antoine Jameson, Karam Butler, those guys when I was younger. And that's just been my team ever since. What is your biggest Wizards memory? What stands out to you? Um, Gilbert Arenas has a lot. He hit so many clutch shots. I can remember one. There was a game where I think we played the Jazz back when Darren Williams was really good, and he hit a buzzer beater. But I think my favorite Wizards memory would be John Wall, Game 6 against the Celtics to force a Game 7 a couple years ago. That was probably my favorite one. What is the most unique piece of Wizards-related memorabilia that you have? Um, I have a... Wizards District Rui Hachimura jersey. I got it as soon as Rui got drafted. I liked Rui. Rui's who's who I wanted in that draft originally. So I immediately went and got a District Rui jersey. Looking at the season, I know the first thing that comes to mind is the trade of John Wall for Russell Westbrook. And I know, of course, a little more collateral came within <clears throat> draft picks down the road. But when you heard the news of John Wall getting traded to Houston for Russell Westbrook, what were your initial thoughts and have they changed since the season concluded? That is a great question. I remember I was at work that night. I was working a night shift that night. And when I got the alert, I'm not going to lie. I was angry. John Wall is my favorite player ever. I was upset. I didn't like it at the time, especially since we had to give up a draft pick. But I've come to see that. It, it worked because Russell Westbrook is a player unlike any other player in the NBA. And he is one of a handful of players that can take over a game and will their team to win. And he showed that at the end of the season, we don't have a great roster. And the fact that the way they started in their, in this position is Bradley Beal is great and all, but I think it's all Russell Westbrook right now. You know, when I saw the wall trade, and I know I kept hearing about the wall trade over the past couple seasons, and I just keep thinking, this is Chris Weber all over again. It's the worst case that could occur. We're going to get a Mitch Richmond-type player for John Wall as he recovers. Even though it's an Achilles injury, you never know how he's going to recover. But Westbrook, him recovering from the injury, that made things look a little like did we get damaged goods. And then, of course, he turned it on, especially come the last couple months of the season, which made things look a little bit better. Was there a point of the season that you were optimistic that the Wizards were going to make the playoffs, period? No. In the East, you can say make the playoffs. I always thought there was an outside chance because in the East, as they are 34 and whatever now, that's enough for the eighth seed. But a chance to actually be competitive in the playoffs, not really until – they went on that big win streak at the end of the season. Before that, I was all on board with tanking, essentially, and just trying to get a better draft pick. But I learned that when you have Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, you can't really tank. Those are two players that they want to win, and they are good enough to help their team win. You have to try to win with those guys. Was there a point where you were really concerned that they're not making the playoffs and things are going to get a little ugly? Of course, Scott Brooks in the final year of his contract, and I know a lot of fans weren't sold on his work as a head coach, especially knowing that it was a ploy to get Kevin Durant to come to Washington and that failing miserably. Yes, 
I'm still at the point where I'm very worried about that. If they, even if they win this game, as I said before, with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, they could beat anybody. I don't think they would beat the Sixers, but I think there's a possibility that they maybe take a couple games. But I don't care if they go on to win the finals. Scott Brooks needs to not be the coach next year. He proved time and time again he has terrible rotations. He doesn't ever draw up plays for scores. He's awful defensively. And he doesn't develop young stars. We have Rui. He wasn't giving Denny playing time, which that's another lottery pick that you need to focus on getting developed. He wasn't giving him playing time. It's time for a different coach in D.C., whether they make the playoffs or not. Who would you think would be a suitable replacement for Brooks, win, lose, or draw? Um, I've seen a lot of names thrown out there. One person that I've wanted is Sam Cassell because of the ties he has to the area and all that stuff. And he's been coaching for winning organizations, whether it's assistant or whatever, recently. I think he'd be a really good get. I honestly don't know at this point, but I think anyone but Scott Brooks at this point would be an upgrade just for the change of the guard, essentially. So far, with Tommy Shepard taking over as president of basketball operations, and I know there were a couple of dalliances. Everybody was looking at Masai Ujiri and, of course, Denver's president of basketball operations before they decided to stick in-house. Looking at Shepard's first year as president of basketball operations, what are some of the pluses and minuses of his tenure so far? It's really hard to judge that after just one year. Like I think Denny was obviously the best pick. And that was a pick that was essentially handed to him on a silver platter. He couldn't have got that wrong. It was a guy that was projected to go a lot higher. He fell to him. So I'm not going to judge that one way or another. That was a that was the pick to make there. If he would have made a different pick, that would have been a problem. And then the free agent signings, Robin Lopez has shown signs of being a great offensive player, but he's not great defensively. Neto is the same way. It's just really hard to judge that after just one year. I, my problem with isn't as much with him as it is with Scott Brooks. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I know that everybody was talking about last year in the bubble, Davis Bertrand's uh, having his run at the end of the regular season. And then the game against Boston, everybody just saying how much of a defensive liability. But again, that lies on Brooks because if you know you need someone to make a stop, you can't risk putting a, an offensive threat who's a defensive liability out there constantly. And then again, it doesn't help that he struggled that game. I mean, if he even hits half of his shots, they probably win going away. You know, anybody can just ask for an average game. No one's asking for anything exceptional. Of course, you never know how a player is going to be. And sometimes you're always rolling the dice because it could have been a lot worse in a game. But going into that, what more do the Wizards need on their roster? They need a 3 and D guy. I don't know who is available. I haven't really looked of what, what's going to be available. I've seen them being linked to DeRozan maybe in free agency, but that's not going to really help this team with what they needed. The way Westbrook plays, he needs to attack and find shooters, and they just don't have shooters right now. Their only shooter is Davis Bertans, and he has just been bad of late. And they're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league, and they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. So if you go find a 3 and D guy somewhere that you can plug in to play in that lineup with Russ and Brad, they'll be fine. Because you also get Thomas Bryant coming back next year. You have Gafford, hopefully, and then Rui. And if you can get a 3 and D guy to play with those guys, they should be fine. I mean, 
if a Kelly Oubre is available, that might be the fit. Of course, whether that reunion occurs, who knows? Yeah. But, you know, it, there's so many things. I mean, you, you never know how that'll really turn out. But looking at the playoffs, who do you think in the Eastern Conference the Wizards match up the best with? That's a great question. Obviously, with the way they played the Nets this year, I would have said the Nets because they don't play defense as well. We're a high-scoring team. They're a high-scoring team. We both give up a lot of points. It'll just be a track race, and those are the games that I feel like the Wizards have a chance. But no matter what, I don't want to play Kyrie, Harden, and KD. It doesn't matter if they're the best matchup or not. So I think of the top three teams, the team I would wish the Wizards could play would probably be the Bucks, just because if you can limit Giannis with maybe Gafford or Rui, then we have a chance to score against them but like a team like the Sixers they're so good defensively we don't have anyone that can stop Embiid so I I feel like they're one of our worst matchups honestly at this point looking at the resume that Russell Westbrook brought into Washington and the frantic number of triple doubles the question is how long can he keep up this pace and does it marvel you, especially seeing how really in his first six years, the guy only had like eight triple doubles and then all of a sudden he just exploded into becoming this triple doubles machine? Yeah, I think in the beginning of the year, he clearly wasn't healthy. I think that had a lot to do with it. It's coming out. He had maybe like a, a quad tear or something like that from last year in the playoffs, which is why he was bad in the playoffs last year. And then he struggled in the beginning of this year. But I think what we're seeing now is healthy Russell Westbrook. That's just what he is. For some reason, there are people out there that don't like how he plays. They say he's not efficient enough, but he plays with heart and he makes your team better. That's just what he does. When he's healthy, he makes whatever team he's on better. And so I have marveled at that because John Wall was one of my favorite and he averaged like 25 and 10. And I thought that was amazing. But then you also add the rebounding aspect to that and him being the greatest rebounding guard of all time. And it There are games when he is the best rebounder on the court, big or guard. He's the best on the court. And it helped. And I don't care if anyone says it's stat padding or not. It helps the team when you get rebounds. It just does. Yeah. And I even look at the Sussex game. He was there under basket getting those rebounds while the big men were already sort of going the other way, which really tells you that, again, maybe it's just the style nowadays. Everybody's assuming the shot's going down, but you got to have somebody back there to prevent the offensive rebounds. Looking at the NBA finals. Who do you have coming out of the West? Who do you have coming out of the East? Who will win the finals? And then how many games? Um, I am a huge LeBron fan, a huge LeBron fan. They played bad last night, but I still personally think if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy, they're going to make it to the finals. I don't have faith in the Clippers until they show me something else. I don't see it. Same with the Jazz. They've been good in the past. Then they lose in the playoffs. The Suns are out of nowhere are a good team. And that has a lot to do with how good Chris Paul is. But then Chris Paul can never get over that hump. And then the Nuggets, if they still had Jamal Murray, it would be closer. But without that guy that you have Jokic who can hit shots in the clutch. But without that guard that Murray was that could just hit those like ice in his vein shots at the end of the game. I think it's going to be tough for them in a seven game series. So right now. I'm still picking the Lakers out of the West. And out of the East, I don't see how it can't be the Nets. You have three absolute superstars and maybe two of the best five players in the league. 
that you're automatically the favorite. So I think that's my finals matchup right now. And I think the lack of defense will hurt the Nets. And I think the Lakers are going to win that series in seven games. What are ways people can reach out to you on social media to talk Wizards basketball and Baltimore, Washington sports as well? And do you have any shout outs or anything to promote? I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Same username at Colby2710, C-O-L-B-Y 2710. And Nothing really to shout out right now, but I love to talk sports. I'll debate anybody about sports. So if you have an opinion or a question or anything you want to talk about, I'm down to listen and talk about it. Austin Celtics, one of the greatest teams in NBA history with the most NBA championships. I am here to talk with big Celtics fan, Nate King. I reached out to you via Twitter just to sort of canvas and try to find fans. And I was glad we were able to orchestrate this interview. Thanks for inviting me and I'm here to talk some sports. The first thing I wanted to ask you as a diehard Celtics fan, what led to you becoming a Celtics fan? Well, I'm from Boston, but believe it or not, Portland was actually my first favorite team. Um, I became a Celtics fan right before, like, the Big Three era with Sebastian Telfair getting traded to Boston. What is the most memorable moment as a Celtics fan? Of course, my most memorable moment as a Celtics fan is um, the Big Three era, but also um, a couple years ago with Isaiah Thomas eliminating the uh, Wizards from the playoffs. That was a crazy series right after his sister died. And just the the heart he showed on the floor, Marcus Smart. I don't know if you remember the team from that year, but that was just a heartfelt team. That was they were dogs really that year. Yeah, and I know that's especially before the whole Kyrie going to Boston thing. Which yeah, which left a bad <laughs> taste in most Boston fans' mouths. I feel like that was a completely different when you look at that team. Everybody thought that Kyrie was going to put them over the top, and honestly, he didn't. I feel like they regressed when he was there, but that stuff happens. You think you make a big move for an impact player, and, and not all the time it works out. Yeah, no, Kyrie, um, he has all the talent in the world, but I think he lacks the heart that like Boston fans like to see. Like, like I said, from Isaiah Thomas, it was all heart. To you, what were the expectations coming into this season with the Celtics? I know after last year's playoffs, the East was going to be a bit of a challenge. Nobody expected Toronto to fall as far as they did, but nobody expected uh, the Nets to sort of stack up their yeah. roster. And, of course, everybody knew Milwaukee was going to be Milwaukee, but it seems that the East has become very competitive again. Well, I'm one of the few people who probably predicted Toronto's fall. Um, you got a 30-something-year-old star player who, you know, is about to be on his decline. A bunch of role players who just fit in the system. But like I said, we're here to talk Boston. I think the expectation for Boston this year was kind of shaky because we did lose Gordon Hayward. We didn't really restock. You know, we got Tristan Thompson and uh, Jeff Teague, who at this stage of the game are role players. Um, you know, they contributed very well as starters earlier in their career, but now they're not really, you know, that level of player. So it was kind of confusing to, to see where we gauge ourselves because we've been Eastern Conference finalist teams the last three of the four seasons. We've been in the Eastern Conference finals, but we lost p- key pieces in Kyrie Irvin, Al Horford, uh, Marcus Morris, of course, uh, Gordon Hayward. So it's definitely confusing, but, um, you know, we expect Tatum and Brown to take the leap to get us to the next level this year. And Brown has definitely showed th- that he is willing to take that next step. Tatum regressed a little bit, but... Um, you know, there is the COVID, whether COVID or not affected his cardio. Um, and he's looking very well now in the season. He's starting to get back up to speed. What is your biggest or most unique piece of Celtics-related memorabilia or clothing do you have, like a lucky jersey or anything like that? Yeah, the year the Celtics won the championship, 
Um, I actually got the luck of going to a Celtics basketball camp with Paul Pierce. My team won the championship. I got to, you know, get a picture with the Celtics banner with Paul Pierce. That year they won the championship. Um, I got a trophy. So that's actually my biggest piece of memorabilia because it happens to be coincide the year that they won. I got to meet Paul Pierce. My team won the championship at that camp. So that was definitely a very good year. What was that like? It just, especially being around a guy like Paul Pierce. I know now all we think of the ESPN stuff that occurred on Instagram a few weeks ago, but what, what was Paul Pierce like being, especially being in that uh, situation? Um, he was very, he's a very chill guy. Um, I got to play one-on-one. Well, everyone at the camp really got to, you know, get like a one score one-on-one game with him. I, I can only imagine, especially being a fan of a team like that and be able to meet him. And then, of course, it all coinciding with everything that occurred with the championship. Was there a point in the season that you were extremely confident that the Celtics were making the playoffs? I mean, the whole time I was confident, but they had a, they had a run where they were doing really bad, where I'm like, OK, if they don't make the playoffs, now we got to talk about Brad and Danny. Are they getting fired or Celtics making trade? Are they going to trade Jalen or Tatum? Because this team can't afford to not make the playoffs. I know there's a lot of uh, of hype, especially we were talking about with the Isaiah Thomas-led Celtics a few years ago and and all those picks and the shrewd moves that Danny Ainge had made that, uh, you know, this is going to be up and coming team. Do you feel like at a point they've peaked too early, especially in their development, especially with all the guys with Marcus Smart and Tatum and Brown? Um, it's not that I feel like they peaked too early as far as I feel like the team was – kind of set up earlier in their run as a championship contender with, of course, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, vets like Marcus Morris off the bench, a bunch of guys who were win-now kind of players. And then you also have on the roster more guys who are developing, of course, Rogier, who is now, you know, on the Hornets. You have um, Tatum, Brown. So the, it was kind of two halves, the tail of two halves. Warriors are kind of dealing with the situation too, a Wiseman and the picks they have, where you have the Guys who want to win now and guys who want to win later. So now that all the guys are off the team who are kind of win now, the Celtics are kind of true young team that's building to a championship, not a half old, half young team. It's it's completely Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's team. So yeah, it's not not that I feel that like they regressed. I feel like it's a different team. Do you feel that Kemba Walker? It's interesting. You're placing Kyrie with Kemba. Uh, you think. Kemba would have like elevated his game, especially we saw that his reputation, especially in college basketball, playing at UConn and then playing with the Hornets and things like that, the big game mentality that he has. Do you feel like Kemba's underperforming or? Um, Kemba's definitely underperforming. I don't know if injury is a excuse for that. I mean, it is an excuse, but as a fan, you know, like, you know, we kind of don't respect that as, you know, like an excuse or the fan base, but, um, I definitely think the Celtics probably should have traded Kemba at the deadline um, and maybe seen if they could have got Lonzo or something. I feel like Kemba's time in Boston is kind of winding down unless they win a championship this playoff. Yeah, it just seems like you went from Isaiah Thomas, then you go to Kyrie Irving thing. That's going to be the guy that puts him over the top. And then you end up just sort of just parting ways and going with Kemba Walker thinking, okay, we see how he was clutching Charlotte. And just now again, it feels like now he's more of a supplemental piece instead of the guy. Yeah. And that wouldn't be an issue. You know, we, we definitely could use Tatum and Brown stepping up. If Tatum and Brown are the main contributors and then, you know, we get Ke- uh, Kemba Walker in spurts and hits big shots, that'll be fine too. But, you know, we haven't seen that much from Kemba either. So, you know, I don't know if I can trust him in that role right now. Looking at the Eastern Conference playoffs, who do you feel the Celtics match up the best with? 
Um, definitely a lot of teams. Philly swept us during the season, but I would not be scared to see Philly. You know, Milwaukee is definitely a deep team. I think we can match up good with Philly or Milwaukee. Brooklyn kind of scares me just because their offensive power. We don't have enough great defenders this year to really combat that, and we're not the offensive team that they are. But any other team in the um, Eastern Conference playoffs, I would not be scared to see them. You mentioned the Nets, but anybody else in the East that sort of gives you a little worries, especially some of the lower teams, Miami, especially if they start getting their act together yeah. or oh, if Miami gets their act together, you know, it's going to be a repeat of last year where they were, you know, a fifth seed. And earlier in the season, they didn't look like championship contenders at all and made the finals. You never know when it comes to Miami. So, of course, but I have confidence in Brad Stevens. He, he's been one of the most successful coaches of the last five years hands down. Um, Danny Ainge, despite his lack of making big trades, has been one of the most successful GMs of the past five years. So, you know, I have confidence in the in the Celtic staff for what they're doing. Looking at some of the other teams, who's someone that you thought, wow, I didn't think they were going to be this good? Um, Hornets, for sure. They, You know, they stole Terry Rozier from us two years ago, stole Gordon Hayward from us last year. Um, they drafted LaMelo Ball, who I was a big fan of in this, in this last draft. And they're putting together a nice team. They look like they might be two years away from, you know, or one piece away from actually being a, maybe a contender. Um, and if LaMelo Mall hits that next step, you know, it could be amazing for them in uh, Charlotte. Other teams that are surprising, of course, Philly. Nobody expected them to be the first seed. It gives Doc Rivers, who's our former coach, a lot of credit where he lost so much credit in Clippers land, you know, um, not succeeding with them. But then he goes to Philly and completely turns that around. And Daryl Morey as well, um, making that team look so good. Milwaukee's always going to do Milwaukee things as long as they have Giannis, so not really a surprise there. The surprises in the East are more like Toronto, even though, like I said, I did predict that they would fall eventually, but I know a lot of people are surprised they fell. Um, Miami not doing as good, and the Wizards as well. It's more the bad teams are the surprise in the East to me. Yeah, and I think, like we're talking with Miami, if if they can get everything together, plus they have Oladipo, that could be a very scary proposition for anybody to face those teams in the playoffs. I mean, if they get out of the play-in rounds and they're not the ones ended up getting knocked out in the round robin because yeah. it could be anybody. Yeah, I really want um, the Wizards to you know make the play-in and then make the playoffs. I, I, I think the playoffs would be wrong without seeing Bale and Westbrook in it. Yeah, which is crazy because especially I think they owe the Rockets a draft pick if they don't make the playoffs because the last thing you want to do is miss the playoffs, end up having the number one pick and end up going to Houston because uh, Scott Brooks is probably going to be on his right way out anyway because the only reason they hired Scott Brooks was just to ensure that KD went to Washington and that didn't happen. Yep. And now they're they're sort of stuck. They, they didn't fire him any other time before. They might as well just sort of let him ride out this last year of his contract because I doubt he's coming back. Definitely, unless they can get a, a strong playoff push. They look like they're about to make the play-in spot if -hmm. they can get in the playoffs and then, you know, make a deep run. Who knows? It's Westbrook and Bale at the end of the day. So I think teams that, you know, don't think the Wizards are good should be scared of that. They play their best basketball in the playoffs. Yeah, whenever if Bale's healthy, that's the other thing. If Bale's not healthy, it's going to be the same old story for Westbrook, just sort of having to carry them and just uh, seeing what happens. Definitely. And then the fact that they might end up seeing uh, Brooklyn in the first round if they do make it that far. Um, could be a, definitely a headline series. Oh, yeah. I mean, the only thing scarier is just like John Wall magically showed up in the East. That would have been even scarier than facing them in the playoffs. Looking at the NBA Finals predictions, who do you have coming out of the Eastern Conference? Who do you have coming out of the Western Conference? Who wins the Finals and in how many games? It's hard because, you know, of course, I want to say the Celtics, but I'm going to try to be a little bit more not of a homer right now. Um, I would say this year... 
I'm going to go Milwaukee out of the East, and I'll go Clippers out the West. Why the Clippers? I know there's, there's a lot of competition, Utah, Phoenix, and everybody else. Why, why the Clippers? Uh, teams like Utah and Phoenix really scare me as far in Denver. I'll put them in that uh, category as well. As far as not being real contenders, but looking like contenders, they're just those teams are to me are known for that. Not Phoenix because they just got back to that level, but um, Denver, Utah, Portland, those teams always look really great and then just never kind of do anything in the playoffs. So I don't know. Maybe Chris Paul might make uh, Phoenix legit. Maybe Utah, how they're playing this year is for real. But I just I just don't believe in those teams. Lakers, um, they're gonna have to show me they can be healthy. I know um, there might be a chance that they're, they're just resting LeBron and AD and hoping that they can get them back in the playoffs and 100% health, 100% cardio, everything. But I just don't think it's it's good for business to not have them on the court at this stage. I'm gonna go Clippers in six games. Wow, I mean, I guess in this case that'll sort of validate them letting go of Doc Rivers if they make it. But I think Paul George really has to step up because all his talks about how things were last year and he really did not show up when it mattered. The Clippers' fates are not going to be on Kawhi Leonard. It's going to be on Paul George because if he doesn't show up, uh, it's just going to be another year of everybody just saying him running his mouth and him doing nothing. Definitely. The Clippers, I feel like getting eliminated where they did last year. It's not the like it's hard to say it's the best thing for them, but it really was because they kind of came in with so much swagger and cockiness. They need to get knocked back down to earth and realize when playoffs come around, it's the little things that matter. And it's playing with chemistry, playing with ball movement, the little things they forgot. They, they thought they were too talented and they were just going to knock over all the competition. And then they almost lost to Dallas and then they and then they did lose to Denver. So. You know, they're, they're really uh, going to have to come with a lot of energy this year, and I think they know that. So I think they're going to do a lot better. Do you have any social media where people can uh, reach out to you if they want to talk a little bit of Celtics, talk a little NBA or anything else? Oh, yeah, definitely. You can reach me at my Instagram, at Newberry, N-E-W-B-R-Y-Y. Um, and, yeah, we can talk basketball there. And hopefully, you know, I can come on here again and talk ball. You know, definitely is a great feeling podcast, and I hope we wish you all the success. Miami Heat, the defending Eastern Conference champions, they reloaded at the trade deadline yes, to sir. get some more chances to go back and especially take out some revenge on the Lakers and they get the chance to get back to the finals. And with me here to discuss the Miami Heat is a longtime Miami Heat fan, Derek Young. I've known Derek, I really, I feel like I know his whole family a long time ago. I first met his older brother, and then I went to class with a couple of his brothers, and like I said, <laughs> it's like a whole, it's like a whole family reunion, a whole family tree. Due to the fact we play football with your younger brother, and like yeah, it's family time for sure. So, Derek, how long have you been a fan of the Miami Heat? I mean, I'm gonna have to have to go back to about '95, '96. I was a Tim Hardaway fan when he was at Golden State. So when he came over from Golden State and locked in with Miami Heat, I pretty much locked in at that point. By the time they got Alonzo Mourning, the Rashawn Leonard, the Dan Marley, it was go time. So I'll say about 20, 25 years or so. And, you know, it's hard, especially nowadays with the uh, NBA and, and fans probably jumping bandwagons, especially, you know, every way the wind blows. But to you, what is your most memorable moment as a Miami Heat fan? Was it that first title with, with D-Wade and Shaq, or was it the ones later on with LeBron? Or yeah, was it something I, else completely? I mean, me personally, I'm a, well, I mean, of course, going back from, like I said, 20-plus years, I mean, it was always the, the New York Knicks and Miami Heat battles back then with the Patrick Jones and them. 
and Tim Hardaway's a lot of the mornings, but more recent, I mean, of course, it's the D, the first chip with D Wade and Shaq. I mean, to see D Wade go average 30 plus a game for finals, like that's crazy. Uh, more recently, I would say, yeah, D Wade didn't go and get that chip. Yeah. What were your expectations of Miami coming into the season? I know that they weren't at full strength in the finals. Several injuries sort of made it a little bit tougher for them to cry out of the the disadvantage they had against the Lakers. But what were you thinking that Miami had on their mind heading into the new season, especially with a shortened uh, schedule? Um, I mean, of course, going to the finals, I think we would expect to be a little bit ahead of them where we're at right now. Um, but at the same time, I mean, playoff basketball is different. So, I mean, when you can lock in in the two or seven game series, best out of four out of seven, it's really more much more steady you can do. So, I mean, plus with the trade with Vic, um, what I expected, I expected a little bit more. But where we at right now, I can't complain about it. And then with the trades we made, I'm definitely happy with that. So, expectations are conference finals, finals tight. See what's up with the Nets. And, yeah. We'll go from there. To you, what is your most unique piece of Miami Heat-related memorabilia or item that you have that that sticks out to you, something that you have? I don't know if it's a good luck charm or anything along those lines. Oh, no, it's that D-Wade Finals Championship jersey. Yeah, she in the closet. Like, that's, that's legendary. You know what I mean? D-Wade is Wade County. So that jersey being in the closet, final stamped on it. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Do you wear it every game if you're watching on TV or anything like that? Nah, it take uh, honestly. It's going for me to have to put that on. It's going to be. Uh, it's, I'm gonna have a good have a good reason. Even when I went down to Miami for spring break, I took it down at the wear and I never broke it out. I, I, I'm gonna have to have a good reason to actually put that on. Um, I like it hanging up. It's good where it's at. Was there a point in the season that you felt Miami was going to the playoffs nonstop, bar none? There was nothing that was going to stop them. I mean, as I said, I, I expected us to be better than where we at right now. So. To really expect us not to make the playoffs, that really, at no point did that enter my mind. Um, we're going playoffs, so I really can't answer that question per se, because um, I got to go on playoffs from day one. Like it ain't no second guessing that we we playoff bound. We we that type team playoffs or at least the playoffs. Were you worried at any point uh, about them making the playoffs? I know there were some struggles a little bit during the season. I know they had a huge win against the Lakers, and it seems like that turned everything around. More than anything, I feel like we lacked focus that time, and then there was a lot of injuries at the same time. So, I mean, of course, that's going to impact our team in general, injuries and stuff like that. But I feel like where we're at right now, where we're headed, we're, we're in a good place. Looking at the Eastern Conference, what teams do you feel like Miami matches up the best with? I mean, honestly, based off the way we play, like we can we can defend, we shoot the three, we got inside game with Bam. As far as matchup wise, I've been with Jimmy Butler on the defensive end, Bam on the defensive end. Matchup wise, I feel like we can pretty much match up. It's just a matter of having all our pieces together. Um, I don't feel like there's any player that Jimmy Butler can't guard. I'll put it that way. I mean, in the past, the Chicago days, even last year, like, well, we see my boys lock up, go, go on the defensive end. Now, granted, with the, the finals, as you stated, we had injuries, things like that. But there's no reason why I feel like we can't match up with anyone. We've been there even with this squad. With this squad, we added more. We added Vic. You know what I mean? Like, that's, like we added pieces. It's not as if we really lost anything. We still got our finals run team for the most part. Um, so matching up wise, I don't feel like there's 
anybody we can't match up with if we're healthy. So I feel like we're guns blazing with anyone who's coming out. Who's the team in the Eastern Conference that you don't want to end up facing in the playoffs that you hope somebody else knocks out so you don't have to worry about it? <laughs> Man, come on. Everybody know that question. That's a loaded word. Nobody wants to see them next. Like, <laughs> that trio they got, like, that's ridiculous. If anybody say any team but the Nets. Um, now, if you want to talk about a team outside of that, I'm going to go with Philly because um, of their defensive end. Like, they're top, they're top three team on the defensive end. So, if we're, but outside of that, before I'll say Philly, um, the Nets. Nobody would want KD from the break. And then you got Harden and, and Kyrie to go with that. Um, I don't care that they ain't really played too many times to mesh together as a unit with, them, with those three together. Um, talent is talent, and they're going to figure it out. So, yeah, it, it would be them and then Philly. It feels like the Nets are, are so full of drama, you don't know which team's going to show up. It's just you wonder if they're going to be able to get their act together come playoff time. They have all the talent. They have all those guys. But I feel like it's those two Lakers teams. So the one where it was Kobe. Lakers in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking I was thinking the one Kobe, Shaq, Malone and Peyton. Then I was thinking Kobe, Dwight Howard, Paul and, uh, and Steve Nash. Those didn't work out either. Yeah, but that team, you didn't have a James Harden in your prime. James Harden, the MVP candidate, but coming to them. We weren't talking about that in Houston. Like he and he's not even worried about scoring buckets. So you and, and even then we need seeing him and KD really play together. Like I don't for me, it's not even a matter of the outside squad. If you get KD, KD one of the most efficient scorers ever in the NBA. You get KD with a James Harden that's not worried about anything to play black free. At this point, James Harden don't gotta be that clutch player. Like we know KD to be that player. If it comes down to it, we know Kyrie to be that player. All Harden gotta do is distribute and be you one through three. Fourth quarter, KD and Kyrie have figured that out. But me personally, between having Blake, I get it. Like, they give up a lot of points, but at some point, it, it takes one stop in the game. I can get them getting one stop as opposed to a team stopping them. You know what I mean? I, I It's too many weapons. At the end of the day, you can see we got KD locked down, Harden just being Harden and Kyrie. You still got to deal with Aldridge. Like, like Aldridge is a natural 20 and 10 player. Of course, he's not going to do that with them. But if it comes down to it, we can say go down to go to the post and give him the ball. Like, the Nets are loaded. Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, on every end. They can go to the line with Kyrie, but Harden at the point, Kyrie at the two, KD at the three. You can go with uh, Blake Griffin at the four and then Aldridge at the five. All them players can score at any point. If we on, on a one-on-one matchup? That's crazy. There's no double team in that team at all. We thought Golden State had something where you couldn't double team. There's literally no double team in this team. That's nuts. To you, when Jimmy Butler made his decision to go to Miami, what were your thoughts on that, and how much of a difference maker has he been, especially with the attitude that, that he saw? I feel like that he was a big difference in Chicago. He was trying to be a big difference in Minnesota. Sometimes you just can't over, you can't overcome that. Yeah. And he was a big difference maker in Philadelphia. To you, what does it mean having Butler's presence on that roster? When it was playoff basketball, his regular season name was already Jimmy Buckets. When it was playoff basketball, we needed Buckets. They got out of his way. And that one, and that's not even him normally. You know what I mean? He, he could get you 20, 22, 23. But you say, give him the ball and move. It's either a bucket or a free throw. And that. So he dealt with it in like the whole playoff run. It was four quarter bucket or free throw. That's really what it was. Like that's what he did for us. 
Like he he got up there. Like that that that's our leader. He he got up there. It ain't, it's not really much more can say about that. Like he he did everything that I was expecting for him and a little bit more. I was excited about the pick. I was excited about the pickup before we picked him up, and then to see what he did when we got at that point, like to give us another quote unquote superstar, Max player. We in there. To you, do you feel that Eric Spolstra is an underrated coach, especially being able to get Miami to the finals in the post-LeBron era and, and all that? Because you know that everybody was talking about how how many times that probably LeBron kept trying to get rid of Spolstra and, and Pat Riley stood behind him. He stood, he stood behind him for the longest time and it paid off. Me personally, I can't argue with anything Spolstra's done. Even with the team that he had, the teams that he had that won the chip, there were still three big egos outside of the Ray Allens, the Shane Baddies, the people that have been known and that put their work in. So for him as a quote-unquote add-in coach, just because, you know what I mean, it's LeBron's team or Wade's team or however you want, but I really can't look at it like that. He managed those teams and even now, like right now, we got, we last year, we had one legit superstar and then the rest, role players and bam, uh, up-and-coming superstar. You know what I mean? Like, and we got to the finals with that. Like that was based off team grit, coaching, and the players that he put on on the on the court. Like you can't argue with that. The proof is in the pudding. His results show they speak for itself. The man got us to a finals. We lost to AD and LeBron with an injury ridden team. You know what I mean? Like so to doubt his coaching aspect of the game is would be foolish. I think a few years ago everybody was thinking, okay. That shadow of Pat Riley looming in the front office that he might pull what he did with Stan Van Gundy and take over, but yeah, he might have got him out of there. <laughs> uh, Shaq called him the master. Yeah, he got panic. him out of there. <laughs> well, what it was, Pat's in the team he liked. <laughs> you know, granted, but you got to take it back. Pat a coach too. <laughs> He's seen up D Wade in his prime, and uh, Shaq does not too far about to leave his prime. So yeah, let me go ahead and step down here and get this quick chip. See your vision, Van, but um, I need you going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'd see it like this is that I don't think Spolster has anything to worry about anymore. Uh, P- Pat Riley, I think, is done coaching, and I don't think he'd have to be the person he'd worry about. And, you know, there are no other people sort of snipe his job to bring him, like a Tyron Lou or or some of those other guys. Well, that and Pat stabbed him. Pat, literally, Pat Pat Riley was the one that stabbed him. Like, that's, that's his quote unquote, that's his guy. Like, and he brought him up from day one, like, Eric Spolster was one of the youngest coach when he was when he was winning chips. Like it's not even like he's an older person. Like I molded him, you know what I mean. So why would I get rid of him when I could sit him out? I could sit up top floor, look down, and know that's me on the bottom floor. You know what I mean? Like he molded Eric Spolster. So to get rid of him when Eric got the accolades and stuff like that, like it wouldn't make sense. Like and and like I said, like even with the chip, even to the finals we got to last year, nobody expected that. So. How can you get rid of someone with that type coaching aspect of the game when he can get a team that's not expecting? No one expected us to make that run last year, and he and even with the, with the COVID and everything like that, like so even to make it with that team when and when everything was going on and that wasn't the most talented team. Like we went through Boston, like we went we went through squads, and you can't just get rid of a, a coach like that. He, he's going to be there for a minute unless he chooses to leave. I can't see Pat just coming down and say, you know what, this is it. I can't see that. Now we go on to the NBA Finals prediction. Who do you have coming out of the East? Who do you have coming out of the West? And who do you think wins the Finals and how many games? Mm. Now, we we just speaking in general. We're talking about the health as a factor. Because me personally, 
I don't, I don't got AD being healthy. Like, I, I don't got that. Granted, we get a healthy AD and a LeBron, Lakers in the finals, easy. Now, now, if we do not get a healthy AD, I like the Jazz. I like the last year. Donovan is different than me. Donovan Mitchell is different. Like, he's really different. Out of the East, Brooklyn, you go, Brooklyn, as much as I like the talent on the court, they got to get on the court. Kyrie has just taken personal days for no reason. I wish I had his schedule. Whoever he got, his management, I need that. Because his personal days that he takes is ridiculous. I need it. So whoever he got doing that, I need to talk to them. But if you can get that big on the court at one time, yo, you can lock them in for the chip. Easy money. I don't care about the, the quote-unquote chemistry. I feel like James Harden being the point guard of the team is a, has a good enough mindset to get who need who needs the ball when they needed the ball, and KD gonna finish. And if for whatever reason KD can't finish, you got a strong Robin and Kyrie who, who will finish. We seen Kyrie finish, so and we seen KD finish. Harden don't got finished. Harden just got to be Harden one through three, and we seen Harden do that. Like it's just the fourth is where it get a little shaky. And at this point, fall back. We got you. So so I'm gonna go next Jazz four two. Nets Jazz four two. Mm, that's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see whoever comes out of either conference. It goes who knows. I mean, this could be the crazy time where things get nuts, especially if they're gonna do that play in and some other team that might be built to knock out Brooklyn might do it. But you never know. Pelicans. It, it all depends on you got you got you got Pelicans who might win the play in on on the on the on the west. I, I like I like the way they look. Zion look good and Brandon Ingram not no sleeper either. So on the west, I like them. Um. East sleeper team, I hate to say, but it's time to call the Celtics a sleeper team because they're not a sleeper. But the way they playing, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but if they get a lower seed, they're gonna mess some the playoff predictions up too. If if they get a lower seed like that, is we're gonna see. What are ways people can reach out to you on social media? Well, honestly, my social media is more or less Facebook and Instagram. Um, I <laughs> well, I do. I I started back on Twitter. Um. So you got young Derek on um, Twitter. Uh, as far as Instagram, young Derek 407 and Facebook, just regular Derek Young. Um, yeah, outside of that, I don't really do yeah, too much. But yeah, uh, reach out to me. And yeah, I'm out there. It has been a very long time since the New York Knicks have made the NBA playoffs, and right now they are pretty much back in the saddle in a very unusual Eastern Conference and in a very unusual year, especially the shortened season going from the normal 82 to minus 10 games to 72. And here with me to discuss the Knicks and their resurgence and their return to the playoffs is longtime Knicks fan and, of course, 15-time Sports Jeopardy champion, Vinny Veritarajan. Vinny, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm hoping that my interview skills are getting up there to like Dan Patrick's, but I don't know, and I think that's going to take a little while because I have not gone to Full Sail University. <laughs> Man, you should get a Dan Patrick to sponsor your podcast. I think that'll be perfect. I'm excited. It, we're like the cicadas. Uh, Knicks fans come out every, you know, every 17 years so uh, into the playoffs, so very excited about this. How did you become a Knicks fan? I know that, especially in the time before the Nets left New York and then came back, it was pretty much a one-team town, so I'm assuming that you had to be born and bred a Knicks fan. Yeah, a um, couple 
things that worked out. One, like I started watching basketball as long as I can remember. I started watching Knicks games when I was like seven, and that was like '95, '96 season, and the Knicks were good. They were always making the second round of the playoffs, and I'd watch what my dad watched. We had MSG. We didn't have the channel to cover the Nets, so you know, almost all that. If I was going to watch basketball, it was either going to be like Knicks games or like the NBA and NBC or something like that. So happened to be, you know, happenstance, um, good fortune, but um, a true Knicks fan. I, I still follow the team, even though since 2001, it hasn't really been the best times. I mean, there was the Donnie Walsh years, which, you know, was great to clear the cap. And then, you know, a couple of uh, playoff appearances and uh, beginning of last decade with the trade for Mello, Winsanity, um, a second round playoff um, in 2013. I haven't sniffed the playoffs since. So this is really unexpected this year. The Knicks have played really good team ball. They're playing hard for Tibbs. And yeah, a lot of Knicks fans are proud because, you know, true New York basketball is defensive, gritty. It's it's ugly. It's hard-nosed. It's not beautiful passing. I mean, maybe if you're like, you know, if you grew up in the 60s and 70s, it is. But you know, the Knicks I grew up on were always defensive monsters, and um, this has that kind of pedigree. I know you've went through the whole chronology of being a Knicks fan, but to you, what is the biggest standout moment? 94? Was it 01? Was it Linsanity? None of the above. It was a regular season game. I was seven years old, and this was the 95-96 season. The Knicks were playing the 95-96 Bulls, who were 72-10, and 10, of course. It was one of those NBA and NBC Saturday games, and I remember it like it was yesterday. The Knicks destroyed the Bulls. Like the Bulls had the best season of NBA history. You know, they won the title. But I'm sure if you can ask Michael Jordan what game sticks out that he's pissed off most from that year, it's this game. They lost 104 to 72, something along that area. They got destroyed. Derek Harper went out of his mind in the second half, shooting breeze for the Knicks. And I think the the Bulls were wearing their black uniform. So, like, you know, I, I remember seeing this image of like Jordan walking off the court and I'm a seven-year-old. I'm going crazy. I, I I don't care if the Knicks ever won a championship. And I, you know, now I regret saying that. But that to me was like the Knicks championship because they played the best team on the planet, maybe the best team ever in NBA history, and absolutely destroyed them. And I know like there's the 99 Knicks, there's the Allen Houston shot, there's, um, you know, there's the four-point play by Larry Johnson. Um, you know, I was too young for 94, so I've, I've only seen it in retrospect. But I've got to say that is the hands down the greatest Knicks game. I think until the Knicks win a championship, nothing's going to supersede that. And I always think of Derek Harper, uh, aside from his days in the Mavericks, he was a Bulls killer. And the 94 playoffs, he was a Bulls killer more so than Starks, because I just think of the dagger that he hit and the steals. And, you know, I think he was the main guy they put that hand-checking rule on because he was so good at it. And I think him and JoJo White got to a scrum, like, in that 94 playoffs. Um, you know, probably saw you probably saw a couple uh, seconds of that footage during the last dance last year, but like Derek Harper, man, he was, um, you know, he was a veteran. He was you know, on his last legs, but he gave everything he had for the Knicks. Uh, expectations going I, into the season. I wish I can say, I thought that this team would gel and, and play as well. No, I, I, I thought this would be another 30 win season. I thought this would be like a team that couldn't sniff playoffs, let alone a winning record. I didn't even think they had a shot at the play and if they were going, you know, top 10 for playoffs. Honestly, I was a little afraid of Tibbs becoming the coach because of how he outstayed his welcome in both uh, Chicago and Minnesota. You know, eventually, like, maybe he's grown as a coach, you know, to change his style. And I love defense. Like, I thought Mike Woodson got a raw deal being fired from the Knicks after 2014. Um, and they've, you know, had a couple of cyclings of coaches. I think Jeff Hornacek, David Fisdale. I'm sure I'm missing some in between. But the Knicks really have been rudderless. And uh, they have an identity now, which is defense and 
you know, one of the free agent deals I thought last year, which is complete garbage. I, I really was bad when, you know, the Knicks swift on KD and Kyrie, they got Julius Randle. It's like Julius Randle for three years. Like, it seems like, you know, they're giving like 20 million a year for nothing or something like that. And now it's like a bargain basement deal, the way he's played. I mean, he's like the Knicks first true all-star in years. And, you know, it's funny, RJ Barrett was supposed to be the savior of the team with the number three pick uh, last year. And he still has to find his place. And, and, and it's amazing that in spite of him, still developing um, that they're where they are right now, which is awesome. What is the most unique team-related memorabilia or clothing that you have? Um, so I do have my Charles Oakley jersey. Um, respect to Oak. Um, wasn't signed or anything, but I do have a Walt Frazier hat over here because um, Clyde used to do the broadcast for Knicks, and he still does the Knicks and for MSG. So you could, before the games, the nice part when Knicks were sucking in the early 2000s is, and late 2000s is that tickets were decently cheap, like $20, $30 for a ticket for a matinee game. And you can go down by the court. And uh, Frazier, if you saw his number, if you saw that, you know, you're a true fan or something, uh, he would, uh, you know, sign something. So I've got this. But I think the funnest one is um, Knicks Nets game about 10 years ago when um, the Nets were still playing in Newark. Uh, this is right before they left for Barca Slinner, so like maybe 2011. And um, I was a civil engineering student, and I went to school in Newark, so the arena was like multiple distance. So for the game, um, my friend and I, we took a picture of Clyde Frazier, and we put it on this large 24 by 36 plotter, and we printed it out. So I said, like, swish and addition for the perimeter with Clyde Frazier's uh, picture. And uh, I remember we, we both went down to, just to see for fun if you know, he'd see the sign and he'd sign it. And then, uh, you know, as security was whiffing off people, they were like, you know, we got to go, we got to go. He saw the sign and he was like, bring him down, bring him down. So uh, I've got like a picture of uh, me and Clyde with the sign. So but I took the picture. My friend got the sign. So I was like, you can have the sign. I'll, I'll take the picture. <laughs> was there a point in the season that you were sure that the Knicks were making the playoffs? I would say that nine game winning streak, I guess it was April, you know, they just started killing it. It's like, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, they, they were killing it. And I, I really thought there that's when they really went above like 500. Um, casually watching the Knicks beginning of the season, um, they weren't even on national TV. So I could never really watch them uh, from D.C. And, uh, you know, uh, when they had, they had a, they were hovering at 500 at the All-Star break, you know, a lot of critics or, you know, people from the team were saying that the Knicks can't survive their back half of the schedule which is much more difficult and then lo and behold the Knicks have really been a killer you know they're still middle of the road but now that they're the team that can beat losing teams you expect the Knicks to be losing teams um and the Knicks have given Brooklyn a run at their money on the head-to-head games they've only lost by one or two possessions so the Knicks are in almost every game they haven't been blown out really I think they got blown out the other day against Phoenix but um they caught a little bit of um the yeah, Clippers game yesterday, and you know the Knicks were going head to head, and I love that. Um, Julius Randle's been playing great. Derrick Rose has reinvented his game. Like I, I think it's like you know he's like turned back the clock, and I don't know, maybe him and Tibbs have unfinished business after that injury in 2012. So, was there a time you you felt like the Knicks' playoff chances were in doubt? I mean, I thought they were in doubt pretty much until now, until that winning streak. But, I mean, they, they look like – I think if they lost all their games, they'd still make a play-in game. I think if they just win one more game, they qualify as a top-six seed and they avoid the play-in play games. So, I'm comfortable about the Knicks. I think they're playing the Lakers tomorrow. They got Spurs, Charlotte, Boston. and I've got a good feeling that they're going to be all right. Like, they've got – their last three games are at home. So, I think the Knicks um, – I think the Knicks really have weathered storms. So uh, I'm really excited and I hope they finish strong. It would be great if they can win, have 40 wins at least this season in a shortened season. What do you, what team do you think the Knicks match up the best with in the Eastern Conference? 
To be honest, I haven't really, I haven't really thought about that too much. I, I was thinking Atlanta with Trey Young, but I, I honestly think the Knicks are just going to be good on teams that don't have depth, like teams that can wear down, like older teams that have mileage. And the Knicks seem to be young, defensive, and you know that might that might take a lot out of defenders who don't have a lot, like um, offensive players who don't have a lot of quickness, because that's where the Knicks can really like kind of you know keep their defense. Serve up a tenacious D, as Mart Albert once said. I'm just happy they make the playoffs. Like I couldn't care less if you know they got blown out in the first round. I think the fact that this is a reclamation project that's ahead of schedule. They're honestly the Knicks are what the Nets were two years ago. Like I, I really think that that you can take a parallel between that 2019 Nets team and the 2021 Knicks because you know the Nets didn't really have any star players. They had like Karis Levert. Um, they did not really have anybody. But that team was gritty. They played hard for. I think Kenny Atkinson was the coach at the time. And then they, you know, they served their way into like maybe 42, 44 wins and they made the playoffs and they played hard and, you know, they maxed out their talent. And that was, I honestly think that kind of season convinced KD and Kyrie to get the free agents to come to Brooklyn again, because they saw that, you know, the Nets, what they went through, like they made horrible trades with Boston with all these draft picks and they were able to, you know, come back from that. And um, I think that's the blueprint the Knicks are going on, which is, you know, play hard and be sensible with their salary cap do have a pretty good salary cap so uh, honestly like you know they're playing with house money this year whatever happens is great if they can go in the playoffs you know as a four seed that would be great i think the knicks would be playing the if the season ended today i think they would be playing the hawks so i think that'd be a fun series but um you know miami boston looks like those are the teams i think the team that they kind of want to avoid maybe the wizards because they might be the hottest team besides the knicks like the wizards have been killing it and it would be kind of fun to uh, see russell westbrook uh, play against the knicks if, if that happens yeah, and I was going to say that's the, the team that you didn't want to see in the playoffs. Is it Milwaukee? Is it the Nets? Is it the Sixers? Uh, is this one of those teams in the East that, um, that scares you as a Knicks fan? Well, I would say the Sixers, if, if MB can be, if MB can play the whole way, I think they're the most complete team. And I think the Nets, the only reason I don't see the Nets as big is besides the injuries, the Knicks have played so well against them head to head. I mean, you know, the Knicks have lost by one or two possessions. Like, that's a lot of confidence. And as a New York Times football fan, they always go back to that 2007 season where they played the Patriots in, like, week 17. Nothing to play for. That Both teams had a playoff spot, but Patriots were playing for their perfect season. The Giants played hard, and they lost a close game, but they developed that confidence that, hey, we can beat them. You know, we, we got close. And lo and behold, a few weeks later in the Super Bowl, the Giants came through. So... I really think there's something about the Knicks' ex- recent experience with the Nets. So, and Milwaukee, I, I think Milwaukee has the, the biggest pressure of any team more than the Nets because, you know, Giannis, this is year three, and I feel it is championship or bust for them. So, um, the Knicks are playing with house money. They have no pressure. So, but I, I, I do think that's like thinking too far along the lines. I think the Knicks are realistically, you know, the first round's going to be tough. And if they can make it to the second round, amazing. But I think Philly would probably be the team if, uh, of the upper echelon NBA teams that would be really, really tough to play. Looking at the NBA finals, who's coming from the East? Who's coming from the West? And who wins? And in how many games? Oof. Um, I've got the Sixers and the Clippers, and I'm sure, you know, I, I haven't followed enough of the NBA this year to like really go. And I, I'm really impressed with the Phoenix Suns. I think that's awesome how like they're like, I think they're like the number one team in the conference right now or like jazz are, but I see the Clippers. I see load management. I, I, I think the Clippers will, will in the end, they'll, they'll make their way through. So, um, and then, you know, Denver's out without, without Jamal Murray and Phoenix really, they haven't really been there. I mean, they have Chris Paul and I would love for Chris Paul to finally make an NBA final. So, 
I think I'm rooting for Phoenix. Like to be honest, but I I, I think it's the Clippers. I think now, um, you know, they've been there enough. I think it's their time. They're kind of like the Washington Capitals. Like they've been there so close, knocking at the door. I think this is a year they finally, you know, open the door and, and get into the NBA Finals or at least the Conference Finals. Finally, um, in the East, I think it's the Sixers. I think this is their year, and I think that they played with a solid ball. I think Joe Embiid's played at an NBA level and. You know, the whole key is whether or not Joel B can stay, you know, has the stamina to get through. I think it he does right now. Um, but we'll see in the playoffs. You know, he usually has been worn down by the second round. But um, I, I'm going to go with the Sixers and the Clippers. And um, I'll say six games. I always think six games is a good series. Like, you know, five if, if it's close. But usually I, I, six games, I'll, I'll go with six. You know, I'm just going to go with the Clippers. Like, I want the – I know they have the stars and stuff, but – I, I feel like that would that would be for, so good for the Clippers fans. Um, I've got a friend who's loved the Clippers since you know the the horrible days, you know, in the '90s and you know things of that nature. Like he he went through that, you know. I'm sure he has a Corey Maggette jersey somewhere in his closet, you know. So, um, you know, like Ken Norman, you know, that kind of stuff. So it would be great for the Clippers fans. Like you know, I'm sure Billy Crystal still like he seems like he's like one a true Clippers fan, things like that. Um, but. You know, if the Sixers win, that'd be great. But I see the champion being someone who has not won lately. So that'll be refreshing. I mean, mm-hmm. NBA has always been nice, but I kind of enjoy it. I kind of enjoy seeing a new team uh, make it to the top. Yeah, honestly, since, what, 75, it's been like the same 11 teams that have won titles, I think. Um, what, Golden State, Chicago. Yeah, Toronto. Knicks. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, Toronto. So 12. Yeah, uh, my, well, Miami. Unfortunately, uh, the Knicks have, Knicks have once in 73, so it's going to be 50 years uh, pretty soon. But, yeah, it, it, it would be nice to see uh, a new team crash the party. I guess, like, the, the Warriors kind of did that, you know, um, before they went Super Saiyan with uh, Kevin Durant those first two uh, times they went to the, the NBA Finals earlier this past decade. But, yeah, it's, NBA is like that one sport. It feels like a bold sports. It's always a dynasty. It's never like, you know. It's never like, you know, different, like different champions in 10 different years like baseball seems to be now. As we wrap this up, do you have any anyone you want to give any shout outs to anything you, you're working on? I know you have a channel on YouTube where you do you talk about hats as well. And I don't know if you've done that recently, but, you know, I'm really bad. I've not done cap of the week. Um, I was gone for a little bit, so I've got more caps. So, yeah, I should do cap of the week on YouTube. So it's. It was supposed to be once a week I would do a cap, um, and I've got about sixty out there, and I've got many more to go. But um, you know, it's just a small three-minute clip of the of the cap, uh, the era, you know, the team played, um, you know, when the cap was made, things like that. Just little tidbits. Um, there's there's a cap collector community I found out, which is pretty cool. Um, so I thought I had a lot of hats, but thankfully I don't have nowhere close to as many hats as some people have. So um, been doing well with that, but. Um, yeah. Otherwise, um, it hasn't been hasn't been much. It's just like working my day job and kind of just um, excited that you know our country is starting to open up again and you know people are vaccinated. So kind of happy about that. And the Knicks, you know, like I'm I'm happy. I'm actually going to be able to wear this jersey hopefully in the playoffs and watch some playoff games. So I'm very excited about that. The Brooklyn Nets, their collaboration is probably considered similar to how LeBron James and the Big Three got their team together in Miami. And even in pro wrestling, I like throwing this around, the NWO, where you have three or four of the most talented stars in the game together and looking to cause a little bit of mayhem. And with me here to talk about the Brooklyn Nets is longtime Nets fan Daniel Grenada. How did you become a Nets fan and had you followed them since the Jersey days as well? No, no, definitely not. Uh, I'm from Brooklyn. I moved down to Miami uh, a while ago. So uh, I moved down here. My father brought me up a Knicks fan. Right? He was a Knicks fan. 
brought me up a Knicks fan. Early 2000s, obviously they had their rough times, and then I found out, I was a big Jay-Z fan, found out Jay-Z's thinking of bringing the Nets to, to Brooklyn. So I always had my ears out for when that would happen. And once 2012 hit and that happened, I was full board Brooklyn Nets. Now, I used to be a Jason Kidd fan, so I did follow the Nets, but I, I wouldn't claim that I was a New Jersey Nets fan. I did root for Jason Kidd, but no, I wasn't a New Jersey Nets fan. What is the most memorable moment as a Nets fan? My most memorable moment since they moved to Brooklyn is Game 7, Round 1 against the Toronto Raptors. Paul Pierce got that block on Kyle Lowry to win the game, win the series. The reason I, it's hard to say that is because I hated Paul Pierce so much that I hated rooting for him. So it was like a, it was like a bittersweet. I wish somebody else would have gotten that moment for the Brooklyn Nets. But that's definitely the best moment as a Brooklyn Nets so far. We went on to get our ass kicked by the Miami Heat the next round, so... Expectations coming into the season, especially the acquisition of James Harden was maybe a few, I guess, a weeks away prior to that. But a healthy KD getting the clearance and then having Kyrie back and with Steve Nash being the head coach. What were your expectations coming into the season? I mean, like most people, you're thinking that you're you have a chance to win the championship. I wasn't sure if it would happen this year, just because when you've seen the history of those big threes, you brought up the Miami Heat. They failed the first year. LeBron with Kyrie and Kevin Love, they failed the first year, right? So it, it doesn't always work immediately. Even Kobe, Shaq, Carl Malone, and uh, Gary Payton, they failed. So I, I, at no point did I ever think it was a sure thing, but I did think we had a good chance to make it to the championship. Now, once we got James Harden, even though everybody jumped and said, oh, for sure we're going to make it, I was still kind of hesitant because I wasn't sure how James Harden would fit. And, I mean, up until this point, we really still don't know because they've only played seven games together. But, I mean, I, it's not – in my eyes, it isn't championship or bust, even though a lot of people think that way. What's the most unique piece of team-related memorabilia or clothing that you have? Is there a good-luck jersey that you have or that you wear all the time? Well, I have this – people see this and they would assume that it's Kevin Durant. But I used to love Joe Johnson. KG nicknamed him Joe Jesus. He may not always be there, but he's there when you need it. And Joe Johnson was my favorite net back when he was around. Um, but to say that I have um, anything special, I mean, I customize shoes. So I have a lot of custom Brooklyn Nets shoes. But other than that, no, nothing, nothing that stands out. Was there a point in the season that you knew that that's it, the Nets are making the playoffs? No second thoughts at all. I mean, most people would say that that, that, that was never in doubt. At any point, I'd never had any doubt even before the season began. Um, when James Harden got here, I mean, he took off with the team even though Kevin Durant was injured. I mean, I don't think there was at any point anyone had any doubts that they would make the playoffs. Now, what the seeding would be, I wasn't sure if they would have home court advantage in the first round, but I, I've never doubted that they would make the playoffs. Was there a point where you were concerned that they were going to miss the playoffs? And, and as you mentioned before, that you, hadn't, you didn't have any doubts about them making it, but did you feel like they were going to underperform at all? Yeah, when I found out Kevin Durant had that hamstring injury, I mean, you know those hammies, they, they linger. So my worry was Kevin Durant's out, and everybody always said that it was going to be difficult to figure out how they would share the ball. But I don't think anybody's worried about how Kevin Durant's going to share the ball with anyone else. I think the problem is nobody knew how Kyrie Irving and James Harden would share the ball. But I think those two months that Kevin Durant was out, that James Harden played with only Kyrie Irving, I think that more or less solidified that this big three can work no matter what combination you get. And if it's all three together, 
Kevin Durant's going to fit in there smoothly because he doesn't need the ball like Kyrie and James Harden. And James Harden showed that he's okay with sacrificing. You have Joe Harris and Landry Shamet out on, on the wings hitting those open threes, Blake Griffin taking charges. I have no doubts that this team has a chance to succeed. Looking at the playoff matchups, who do you think the Nets match up the best with in the Eastern Conference? I'm not worried about too many teams. I, I guess if I had to choose one, I think they match up well against just about everyone except for the Heat and the Sixers. I'm not worried about Milwaukee. In the first round, I'm kind of hoping we get the Knicks, to be quite honest with you, just because Knicks fans have been so hyped this year that I would kind of like to have that matchup just to get that out of the way. Um, but the only two teams that would really scare me are the Heat because of uh, Bam Adebayo and the Sixers because of Joel Embiid. What do you think if a weakness that the Nets have? Oh, interior defense. We have, we have no big men. The only big man we really have is DeAndre Jordan, and he plays like if he's wearing six-inch Timberlands. He's very slow, and I know he's trying. I, I feel almost bad for him because he has become Twitter bashing. Once he's in the game, Nets fans are ready to, to sweep their hearts out about how bad he is. So I feel bad, but, but he is. He's a liability, and uh, but he's the only one with size. Blake Griffin and Jeff Green hold their own as best they can, but they're undersized. So whenever we play Joel Embiid or we play Giannis, they're going to get theirs because we have no interior defense. So that goes back to the whole we have to outscore those teams. In your mind, the abrupt retirement of LaMarcus Aldridge after getting him off the waiver wire, how much would he have benefited to that roster, especially as the stretch goes around and, of course, people recovering from injuries and just sort of giving people the load management uh, as they head into the playoffs? The depth would have helped because Blake Griffin, I think, has played more just because he's he's been forced to play more because LaMarcus Aldridge retired. Offensively, he stretched the four because he can hit those threes. So he he brings that, that, that center out to the arc to defend him uh defensively he's a big body he he would he would have helped immensely and i think that also killed us because i think we were going to make a run at andre drummond but because we got lamarcus aldridge they figured that that we'll take the, the three-point hitting center than andre drummond that could just rebound so we passed on i think we passed on so far seeing steve nash in his first year as a head coach what were you thinking that he was going to bring to this team? And really, how would you evaluate his uh, first-year coaching at the NBA level? His first-year coaching, I think, has been a success. You know, people nitpick at his um, timeout selections, things like that. But if you think about the fact that he's had 27 players play on his team this year, he's had 35 different starting lineups. That's more than half of the games that they've played. And they still are second or third in the East right now. I think they're third because of the tiebreaker. That's a very impressive resume for somebody that's on their first year coaching. So I think he's done a phenomenal job. My worry is late game situations. I'm not sure what kind of plays he's going to call or what he's going to do when you have a close game and you have the big three out on the court. Because I'm not sure who do you give the ball to. I mean, everybody says Kevin Durant, but the little bit I've seen the three all together, in close games, Kyrie Irving's gotten the ball more often. So I'm not sure how he's going to handle that when it comes to playoff time. But outside of and at the end of the game situations, I think that he's done a phenomenal job. Did you feel that, especially, you know, you see that thing where a lot of Hall of Fame caliber players don't make the transition to coaching well. And everybody saw Jason Kidd's rough start in coaching, you know, asking a player to bump into him to spill ice just to I give more that was time. genius, to be quite honest with you. I love that. But yeah, <laughs> that, that, 
that was a, a rough first year. He had Paul Pierce, KG. Everybody had high expectations, and and they started off really bad. They picked it up second half of the year, but they started off really bad. And that's one of the reasons that I don't overreact to the Bucks sweeping the the Nets. Well, beating them twice last week because I was reminding everybody on Twitter that year that Jason Kidd had Paul Pierce and KG. We swept the Heat in the regular season. I was so hyped about them sweeping them that I got great seats because I live in Miami to go watch that first game. And I was smacked by reality by the time the third quarter was over. So the better team always wins in the playoffs. So that's why I'm not worried about the Milwaukee Bucks. Looking at the NBA Finals prediction, who's coming out of the East? Who's coming out of the West? Who wins and in how many games? I think the Nets are going to come out the East. I really do. I think James Harden is going to come back healthy. He's supposed to come back against San Antonio, I think. So I think they're going to make it out the East. I don't think it's going to be an easy road, but I think they'll make it out. And I do not bet against LeBron. I, I will never bet against LeBron. I think that the Lakers make it. And even though Nets Twitter might hate it, I think that the Lakers, if Anthony Davis is healthy, they, they could take it. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets get it. Well, obviously, I want that to happen. But I, I just I can't bet against LeBron and the healthy Anthony Davis. And how many games do you I think, think this final? Seven game? games. I think seven. that would be an awesome series. And I think especially with the shortened season and things going crazy, and of course having to play in around, uh, there's a lot of uh, talk about that. And I know I don't know if it's controversial or a lot, but a lot of people sort of either love it or hate it, seeing their team has a chance to another chance to make it in the playoffs. But other teams saying like, well, you you had it for the top eight seeds. Why add these other two seeds to make everything more confusing? But but don't you think it's made it more interesting? Before we used to have just the top eight teams make it, and by the t- this time of year. Even the 7th and 8th teams would be resting their guys because, okay, we're in. Whether we're 7th or 8th, it doesn't matter. Now it matters. Now everybody's playing to the end because it matters. You don't want to be in that playing. I think it's a great idea. I think LeBron was off base saying that that whoever made it should be fired. Yeah, and what's interesting enough, when this team was at the top of the conference, he didn't have a big deal about it. It's like, oh, watch those other guys fight it out, duke it out for those two spots. It's something different when you're in that position. Now it's a completely different story when you're the one who's trying to fight for your playoff lives. Exactly. Luka Doncic also randomly said something once he realized that they weren't going to get to rest towards the end of the season either. So it's a lot easier to speak when you don't think that you're the one that's in there. But I think it's a great idea. I think it's made the season more interesting for most teams. Well, Daniel, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know a lot's going on and everybody's getting hyped, especially with playoffs coming up. What are ways people can reach out to you? And if you got anything to promote or share or shout out to, uh, feel free. Uh, more not so much. Like I said, I was telling you earlier, I'm relatively new to Twitter, right? The Six Borough. I, I just started tweeting this this couple months ago. Uh, I'm more active on Instagram. I have the Six Borough, which is where I connect with all the Nets, Jets, and Yankees fans, right? Those are my three squads. And uh, if anybody's interested in sneakers, I customize sneakers with my wife. Uh, you can follow me at the sneaker teacher. And um, yeah, that, that's more or less, I don't have too much to promote. It's interesting. I have a bunch of friends who live in uh, New York and they always talk about it's that weird dividing line where, like, I know my friend is a Mets, Jets, Knicks, and Rangers fan. And I feel like there's like the hierarchy is like one side, it's like it's supposed to be Yankees, Knicks. Rangers and Giants, and then the other right. half is, you know, Mets, yes. Mets, and, Jets. And, and a lot of times it goes that way. I am um, my father introduced me to the Yankees when I was a young kid. Took me to Yankee Stadium, so that's what brought me to the Yankees. I wasn't a really big football fan until I was about in middle school, 
And for some reason, Keyshawn Johnson had just gotten drafted. I saw him, you know, being promoted all over the place. And not knowing anything about football, I was like, well, this guy seems pretty cool. And Keyshawn Johnson got me into the Jets. So that, that kind of threw me off. Because it's usually Mets, Jets, Yankees, Giants. But, you know, I got screwed up somewhere in the middle. The Philadelphia 76ers are really making their way in the NBA's Eastern Conference, being the top seed, getting a decisive win over the Nets a few weeks ago. And here to talk to the fans out there about the Sixers is longtime Sixers fan and frequent guest on this podcast, Linwood Outlaw. Linwood, how you doing, man? Hey, what's up, Earl, man? Nothing much. I always say every day above ground is a good one, and I know I feel like a broken record when I say it, but it's always going to be true. Very true, man. Very true indeed. I've always wanted to ask you, you being a Baltimore native, how did you become a fan of the Sixers? Charles Barkley, man. That was my favorite player as a kid. It was my favorite player for many years. Um, You know, up until I would say like in the early 90s on, that's what drew me in initially. I always loved those throwback Sixers unis. The unis that we wore like that season, like the 90, 91, 91, 92 year. Um, I was a fan of those uniforms, and it was Charles Barkley, man. That's what drew me into being a Sixers fan. No offense to you as a Wizards fan and everybody who grew up as a Wizards fan, but I never really cared much for the Wizards or the Bullets or anything. Like, you know, um, I don't know. Maybe it would have been different had that team remained in Baltimore, but it was with Charles Barkley, man. He's what drew me in. I was my favorite player and still one of my all-time favorite players, to be honest. And um, that's how I pretty much got locked into the Sixers. I had a quick question about that. We were talking about Sixers uniforms, and we're talking about the Captain America uniforms that they had, the Sean <laughs> yeah. Bradley ones, that weird gap in between the ones that Barkley wore, but between the weird gap where the Dana Barrows rookie year Iverson ones and then the, the black Sixers uniforms. I always think about that. I think they're some of my favorite Sixers uniforms, but I know everybody else talks about how ugly they are. But I personally thought that those Captain America uniforms are the best Sixers uniforms prior to them going back to the red, white, and blue in the Elton Brand years. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the biggest fan of the Captain America uniforms, but when I see the current season's uh, City Edition uniforms, I actually like those Captain America uniforms better. I think this year's City Edition is it's a black jersey and it's... uh, it sort of has a design of like row houses within the Philadelphia area. It's an okay design, but I'm, I'm not really a big fan of it. I think that the two previous city editions that we had, the two previous seasons were better personally. And it made me a bigger fan of the Captain America design. When it comes to the Sixers uniforms, uh, and especially in the NBA in general, they are more likely to have a variable design of uniforms, especially you don't see it that much in the NFL. You don't see it that much in baseball unless you're the San Diego Padres and you don't see it that much in hockey because you know they have the like three uniforms your alternate maybe a throwback a winter classic one but other than that I feel like the NBA is the only one that sort of got the note that mainly the kids they love the different variety of jerseys yeah I do personally as a basketball fan as a Sixers fan I'm always a bigger fan of the retro designs that's been my thing I'm going to always be like a retro design fan, but I like some of the newer designs as well. What I really liked about what we've done with uniforms in recent seasons is that we found a way to incorporate older designs with newer designs, you know, and I think it was a way to, you know, honor past uh, logos, 
while also mixing in a new feel for the, for the uniforms and the jerseys in general. So I really like that. I really liked our jerseys for the most part for the last couple of seasons. What expectations did you have? Doc Rivers, new head coach, after several years under the Brett Brown experiment, I felt that it was the right time to make the move. They gave Brett Brown the opportunity to make it through the rebuild and then finally show what he could do with those players. And they just weren't able to get it far. And I think, especially in the Brett Brown tenure, that 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 buzzer beater against Toronto is, is one of those things that loomed that probably did him in after a particular moment. But going on to Doc Rivers, what is it about Doc Rivers that has instilled confidence in the Sixers? Man, Earl, I really hate reflecting on that buzzer beater, man. It just really puts me in a foul mood every time I bring somebody brings it up. <laughs> oh, I have to reflect on it. That was probably the worst moment as an NBA fan for me personally to watch that shot go in. I really felt like we were going to win that game in the series and move on. Who knows what would have happened in the Eastern Conference Finals or beyond, but I felt like that was our series to take. Whether or not that was what did Brett Brown in, it's hard to say. I mean, I hate when, it, when situations, when people point to a situation like that, you know, something that's so astronomical and say, oh, yeah, that was probably it for Brett Brown after that. I think Brett was a good coach for us overall. I think that it just got to a point where he took us as far as he could take us. I agree with you. I think it was the right time to move on. I wouldn't have minded if we had moved on the season before. But I always like Brett as a coach. I just think that we have reached a, a, a point where it's like, okay, I think this is our ceiling with Brett. And I think it's time to go in and bring in a more inexperienced coach who could help guys like Embiid and Ben Simmons develop and evolve. Because I think that really was the stickler. He wasn't really helping those guys get better at a certain point. They were productive. I didn't necessarily see them getting better. And I think that that was the the key reason why we brought Doc Rivers in. He's a championship winning coach. Uh, he's a proven coach. And I think that he was the right guy for the job in terms of helping those guys get better. Because we're only going to go as far as Joel takes us and then as far as Ben takes us. Simple as that. And I think that the key is that those guys had to get better and have to get better in order for us to to remain a power in the Eastern Conference, one of the top teams in the East. So I was excited that Doc had came on board. My expectations were, first off, I wanted us to use how last season ended as motivation. That was my first expectation. We ended last season with a sweep at the hands of the Boston Celtics. I hate losing to Boston in any game, postseason game, regular season game, preseason game. I hate losing the Celtics. And I think that any true Sixers fan hates losing to Boston. And I hated that we got swept. It was a bad taste in my mouth. And I was hoping that we would use that as motivation for this upcoming season. Beyond that, I wanted us to remain a top four team in the East. And I felt like Doc would definitely help us do that. I was happy with the offseason moves we made. I was happy that we were able and surprised, really, to see that we were able to move Al Horford's contract. I just think he was a bad fit. You know, I'm not trying to badmouth Al Horford at all. I just think it was a bad fit for the team. It was a bad contract. I had a feeling when there were rumblings that we were going to sign Al Horford that it would be a bad fit for us. And I was proven right. I didn't want to be right, but I was. And I was like, well, I think we're stuck with this contract because I don't think anyone's going to take it. But lo and behold, we made some moves. Daryl Morey stepped in. He was able to make some things happen for us on draft night. And that was the biggest move. I mean, I, at that point, I didn't even care who we had gotten in return for Al Horford as long as we got rid of the contract. But then we ended up getting a pretty good shoot in South Curry. We made some other deals and added Danny Green. 
Uh, we were able to reach a deal with Dwight Howard. And I think those moves have really helped to turn the team around. You know, I'm not going to say that they were home run moves, but they were good moves. They were good acquisitions. And I think that they contributed to the improvement we've shown in terms of regular season performance from last season to this season. So that was really my expectation, man. I just really wanted us to obviously make a deep playoff run. That's every year. You know, my hope is that we can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals at least. I think that that would be the next big step for us. But it was to to remain a playoff team, use how last season ended as motivation. I think in a lot of ways we have. I think in a lot of ways uh, Doc has stepped in and really proven himself to be the difference for this basketball team. When it comes to the playoffs, we knew that the Sixers weren't going to lay a complete egg and get back to playoffs. Even the hot start got them out to the minds that everybody thought Philly is a team to beat or one of the teams to beat before the, the Harden trade with the Nets. Looking at that, seeing that there were probably no worries that you guys were going to miss the playoffs. Looking at the playoffs itself, who do you think the Sixers match up the best with? I think we will match up pretty pretty well against Milwaukee. I think that that would be a great series. It would be a great test for us. You know, I haven't really paid attention to the lower tier teams because of the whole play-in scenario, but I'm keeping my eye on it. I see teams like Boston and Washington hovering around those final two seeds in the East, but I'm only thinking about the top four teams, teams that, you know, let's assume, you know, that we handle business in the first round and move on. I'm, I'm thinking about teams like Milwaukee, Brooklyn, just from a talent standpoint, pure talent standpoint. Because when I see Brooklyn, I just see a lot of, of talent, big collection of talent. That's how I look at Brooklyn. I think that just from the standpoint that they have guys like KD, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, uh, that's a formidable matchup for anybody. For even the top teams, the teams you would consider the top teams, like the Miamis and Milwaukee's and us. So that would be a tough matchup. But I will also be interested to see how we would handle ourselves in that matchup as well. But I think that if I had to pick a team, I'd probably say maybe Milwaukee. I feel we're built to compete and with and beat Milwaukee. Who is a team that, as Sixers fans, you guys are worried about? Um, Brooklyn, first and foremost. Again, just from talent. You know, I mean, there's no way you can look over their roster and see KD and James Harden and Kyrie Irving and say, well, we're not, we're not going to have our hands full. You know, this is a team that can score – an enormous amount of points on a nightly basis. And I think that we're talking about guys who are all NBA players. Uh, yeah, they're figuring some things out, but I think that you'd be surprised what you can do when you have talent in this league. So I think that first and foremost, that's the team I'm concerned about. The team that's always got my attention also is Washington, man. They've been on a roll lately. And, you know, this is a very real scenario that if we're able, you know, to clinch that number one seed, and they are able to get that eighth seed, that could be a tough matchup for the first round. I think we could win it, but I think it would be a tough matchup. Those guys are, to me, they're the hottest team in the NBA right now. So, I mean, those are teams that give me concern right now at the moment. Going back to something that I wanted to ask you about, what is your most unique piece of Sixers-related memorabilia that you have? They're probably both Allen Iverson memorabilia. Well, something I would do is when I had a chance to meet Allen, uh, briefly, you know, I still remember how huge that line was. It was a sports memorabilia show, I think it was, a sports card memorabilia show in Philadelphia. Um, but I was able to get a ticket. I was able to get in the line, uh, shake hands with him, take a picture with him. It was a cool experience. So that's something I'm going to get framed and hung up on the wall at some point. I still have it in a safe spot uh, if I get the right frame and everything for that. So that's something, the first thing that I have that I cherish more than anything is that picture with AI, my cousin, Tony, 
uh, went with me to that show. He's also in that photo. So um, I never thought I would get a chance to meet Alan Iverson ever in life, but I did that day. And it was, a, it was a cool experience. It was brief. It was quick, but it was cool. And I'm proud of that. I also have a picture, a nice photograph of Alan Iverson and Kobe Bryant in a game that they were selling on NBA.com around that same time to also pick that up for a pretty sweet price. And I want to get that framed as well. So really nice picture of those guys going at it. You know, Al Nobson uh, during that era was my favorite player. And I used to always love to watch him go against the Lakers. Those were my favorite games to tune in on. And that picture, you know, I think symbolizes, you know, sort of a rivalry that we had with that team back when AI and Kobe were the stars for those respective teams. I have some jerseys. Um, I have one for Al Nobson that I scooped up in 2001 that I love. I have Ben Simmons' jersey, Joel Embiid's jersey. I actually have three Joel Embiid jerseys. One is his all-star jersey. Another one is, is a Rose Sixers Uni, a home Sixers Uni. And I think a city statement edition jersey that's red. So I have four. So I have four Joel Embiid jerseys. And I have a bunch of caps. This is one of them. Um, one of my favorite caps that I have. One of my favorite logos during the Sixers era. I think that's really about it. I think that I mostly have just, just some jerseys few photos, but those are my favorites, particularly the two Al Nobson pictures. When it comes to Joel Embiid and the numbers he's putting up in the MVP race, did this come to a surprise to you that he was going to be this good? I know, especially coming out of Kansas with the injuries and things like that. Did you think he was going to be this MVP caliber level player? I have to be honest with you. I didn't. I'm a little surprised by it, honestly. Like, I know that Joel had this in him. I did. Like I knew that he had this level of play in him. I, I think that uh, I think it was the season before last. I thought it was a really good season for Joel, but I didn't expect him to have a season in which he had such momentum for the MVP award. And he's in the daily conversation for the award. I mean, he's having a great year. And I think and to me, he's my MVP. You know, he has my vote for sure. You know, if, if, you know, if you're asking me who I think the MVP for the season is, I'll tell you it's Joel. If I sound like a homo or I sound, you know, like I'm showing favoritism, so be it. But to me, I mean, I've seen him play a lot this season, thanks to us being on national television a lot this year, which I love. And I think that the man is just having a monster season. I mean, he has improved. And I think that he's improved in large part because of Doc Rivers' tutelage. And I think that that uh, Doc Rivers' arrival is what put him on the course toward an MVP season. That and, you know, losing the boss again, swept by Boston last year, I think all these things sort of came together. But I really love how he's trying to be consistent and how he's being aggressive night in and night out. You know, some nights in previous seasons, it looked like Joe was just dragging along. You know, he'd have some amazing nights and then some subpar nights by his standards. But I really feel as though he's been bringing it this year and uh, putting the team on his back on most nights. And uh, that's what MVPs do. And he has us in position uh, down the stretch to enter the playoffs as the top team in the East. And to me, I think that's worthy of an MVP award. Looking at the NBA Finals predictions, who do you have coming out of the East? Who do you have coming out of the West? Who wins and in how many games? (laughs) I mean, in my mind, in a perfect script, it would be us that come out of the East. I'm going to always roll with us no matter what, no matter, you know, who Brooklyn has on their team. So I'm going to roll with us. I'm going to say we're going to find a way to get it done. Out of the West, I see the Lakers coming out, man. I really do. Uh, They picked up some wins, I think, the last two games. I believe it was against Phoenix and maybe Denver, uh, also New York. 
I thought that was a pretty good win for Los Angeles. I think their biggest issue has just been health. I think that when your team is as good as the Lakers are, you know, that's really the only thing that can stand in your way. I think that they play championship caliber defense. I think they have two superstar all-NBA guys and LeBron and AD when healthy, you know, they're a force to be reckoned with. I still see them as a team that can uh, make it out of the West. I think there are teams that could beat them, you know, that are talented enough to beat them. But, you know, if you're asking me who I think going to come out of the East and West, I have us, the Sixers, and I got the Lakers coming out of the West. And, um, you know, I can see that series going seven games. I would go with us in seven. I mean, you know, hey, you know, I'm pushing all my chips to the table, but it is what it is, man. We're, I don't think that, you know, we made any secret that we're in pursuit of a championship be it this season or you know, next year. But um, I like what we're doing. I particularly think defense is our strong suit much like the Lakers. Um, I think the game we played in Philly this year was, to me, it felt like a finals game, which we narrowly won, which we almost gave away, but still found a way to pull out at the buzzer. But that whole game, it really felt like a finals game. It felt like these were the two teams that should be in the NBA finals. How long do you think the Sixers have a window for? I hate windows. I hate... (laughs) I I, want to feel like we have a chance to win. I think that we really have to, to make it a concerted effort to win, I would say, like in the next three to four years. You know, we have to find a way to punch through the window and get to the finals at least. I think so. I think that the next three to four years are our best opportunity. I wouldn't say our only opportunities. I would say our best opportunities would probably be in the next three to four years. Me personally, I still think we need another elite score on this team. I think we get that. I think we could truly be a serious threat and a, a heavy favorite to win. If we can get one more score. Some guys I was hoping for at the trade deadline was guys like Zach Levine. You know, in my fondest dreams, I wanted Bradley Bill to come to the Sixers. I think he would be a great fit on this team. I really do. But those, I feel like we need that kind of player. And that would increase our chances of maybe winning multiple championships. And that's the way that I see it. Um, That's no knock on Tobias Harris because I personally am a fan of Tobias Harris. Last season, save for his production in the postseason, I was fairly pleased with how he played last year. And I think that he's having a great season this year. Uh, I just, you know, just looking at, the, at, you know, the landscape of this team, I just feel like that that will really increase our chances of competing if we can add one more score to this team. Is there any regret about not retaining Jimmy Butler, especially after seeing the Heat go to the finals? Well, I heard a report the year that we signed him. I want to say it was at the 2018-29. We're not signed him. We traded for him. I want to say it was the 2018-2019 year from a reliable reporter, Rick Buca, I believe, that he had already made up his mind that he wanted to go elsewhere. I personally don't know why that is. If I had to speculate, I would say maybe um, he wasn't a big believer in Brett Brown, if I had to guess. But I really don't know why. But I... You know, from that point on, I was like, well, I don't know if he's even really committed to staying anyway. So I'm sure that an offer was made. I think Jimmy Butler had other plans in mind. You know, I've read reports that he had got tired of playing in cold cities, ready to get into, you know, a warmer climate, see some palm trees. And my goodness, who wouldn't want to live and work in Miami, right? So I think that Jimmy Butler had his own plans. Jimmy is a different cat and he's different. I mean, I don't think we you could ever really predict what he's going to do or, you know, what he has in mind. The only concern I really had about signing Jimmy Butler to a long-term deal was his age. 
He's been playing well so far in Miami, but I was turning about signing to a long-term deal and how he will hold up throughout the course of that deal because it was a big investment to be made at that point. There are times I do miss him, sure. You know, I think that he I always admire Jimmy's grit. I think he does have leadership. It can rub you like sandpaper, but it's good leadership. But I would say there isn't any regret. I hope we don't have any regrets about it. I think that, you know, Jimmy Butler wasn't committed to staying here. And that's the bottom line. But I do think that I'm happy to see that he's doing good things in Miami, except for when they play the Sixers. But there are days when I wish he was in the lineup and there are other days where I said, hey, it just didn't work out. You know, that's well said. I know that as a Sixers fan, seeing Butler go to the finals, that had to stink just a little bit. But, you know, things happen for a reason. As we wrap this up, what are ways people could reach out to you, talk a little bit about the Sixers or anything else? And do you have anybody you want to give any shout outs to or anything? Um, like I said, I'm I'm uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, Twitter handle is Lynn Outlaw, and also the same handle on Instagram. You know, if anyone wanted to reach out. I'd really like to thank all the guests who took the time to be a part of this podcast and especially taking time out of your busy schedule because I know it is not an easy thing and I really appreciate that. Some of these guests I'm looking forward to bringing back, especially talking about some of the things going on in their life. And this is a unique way to meet new people and find potential guests as well. If you have your own predictions, feel free to give us some comments. Let us know either on our YouTube page or on the blog on who you think will make it to the NBA Finals. Our next episode will feature the start of our run on University of Maryland Eastern Shore alumni, starting with former softball pitcher Kelly Cullen. She'll tell us about how she got into the game of softball, what it was like playing at the Division I level, how she was able to redeem the spark that she lost for the love of her sport. As always, you can find us wherever podcasts are heard, including Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and the iHeartRadio app. In addition to that, you can reach out to us on social media by following me on Twitter at the Earl Holland or by following the Sports Refuge at the Sports Refuge. You can also find us on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog and on Facebook at the Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.